Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices, do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota Hybrids. Find yours at Toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, see why 2000 through 2021 sales. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by one guest only, the only guest, Dave Downey. Uh, you know, I guess, Dave, that means that this is not just another edition of The Kickabout. This is, this is a special edition <laughs> of The Kickabout because I think, I feel like uh, for maybe a couple seasons running, we've been doing sort of the the big podcast right after the season and right ahead of the transfer window. Obviously nothing about this season has been normal um, other than us being us not being very good. I mean, that part's pretty normal. That's the most stabilizing force in my life is that Everton is pretty crap and pretty inconsistent. But uh, in terms of the timing and the fact that uh, the window technically opened, I guess the, the day after the season ended, um, everything else has been uh, a little bit different. But we always seem to we always uh, do this uh, right after the season to just kind of I, I, I think maybe talk a little bit about what we just saw, but I, I think focus more on what's ahead and more importantly what needs to be ahead. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, every time me and you we can be Rob, I think it's sort of. Um, Almost an attempt to redress the balance <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and an attempt to make sense of a lot of things that happen with our 
wonderful yet enigmatic football club. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's hard to not start a sentence when you're talking about them without an exasperated breath these days, isn't it? Really, because yeah. um, it, it's it's how many different ways you can think to, to put the the same sort of festering issues that we've spoken about so many times into 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 a different light. And there's a, there's a saying in the UK, Rob, you might not be too familiar with, but same horse, different jockey. And <laughs> it, it sort of feels like that with, with our club a lot of the time in, in recent years. The, essentially, the personnel will change, the manager will change, for instance, yeah, but everything else remains exactly the same. Um, the players even change. And yet, yeah. The, the the sort of the, the myth, mythical beast that we know uh, is Goodison Park when people walk through that doors I don't know it's like Space Jam you, you, your powers are just zapped out here or something mm-hmm. like that um, we're we're fully aware of aren't we there's a there's a force at work a part of oh, our force at work. much much bigger than us yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly so um, yeah it's good to have that reality check with yourself uh, every now and then throughout the campaign and. Um, yeah. I, I see our sessions, Rob, and I do call them sessions rather than podcasts because it is, it's a it's a venting experience. I think it's it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's a way of sort of I don't know find find someone who, who empathises with I think very familiar views me and have me and you have with the club and, and what goes on and how to fix it and um, yeah it's quite a euphoric feeling I always have toward the end of them to be honest with you so always <laughs> should be thanking you. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny, Dave, is that in, in this little self-contained world that you and I live in uh, of this, this you know, occasional long-form therapeutic session that we have where, um, you know, the, 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 the topics feel at times like they don't really change. And I'm not sure that we're really, uh, some would argue from a therapeutic sense, are we really getting to the root issue of the problem? And, you know, <laughs> I... I do think that it's, I do think that we, uh, I do think that we are very good and I, and I don't mean us, but I think in general, I think most people uh, who try to thoughtfully speak about Everton, especially at this time of year, right after a disappointing season has ended, or maybe not even disappointing is the right word, but a typical season has ended. Um, there's, there's so much logic that can be applied because usually the problems, at least many of the problems are very easily identifiable. You know, most years it was, we don't have anyone, we don't have any strikers and now it's, we don't have a midfield or those sorts of things. But what, for those of you who have, who are newer to this and, and I'm speaking, I think Dave, I think I'm speaking to those who are, um, maybe new followers of Everton, um, why you've chosen Everton or why that's happened to you, especially those of you who might be Americans like me. Look, that's your... Well, that's Rob, your, that's... I think, I think you, you need to give, give yourself some credit there because I think you'll be responsible for a lot of people in, in that regard. Oh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, it's one thing I feel I never have to apologize for yeah. um, because I, I tend to turn people away. I think you bring more on board. I think you would adopt this role of, of sort of the Pied Piper who's sort of pulling everybody towards Everton because you're in a unique position of being such a passionate fan from mm. overseas. So, um, yeah, blame Rob, everyone. Well, okay. But, and this is what I was going to say too, because th- this is the paradox of, 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 of being someone who 
is passionately in love with the club. And I, I think I've used this metaphor before, but there's a, you know, now to use a, probably what is an American expression, uh, the church is not the building, it's the people inside of it. Um, uh, I, I, I dearly love Everton because of the people first and foremost, yeah. the friends I've made, all those things. But it is also a sporting experience like no other. Um, for those of you who are, let's say, I, I know that the majority of the audience or good portion of the audience are those who were uh, born with this, if you will, um, and uh, generationally are tied to Everton. And, and um, that is, of course, its own unique cultural experience. Uh, many of you, though, who are um, maybe those who have kind of jumped on board because you decided to get into the Premier League or uh, you, st- you got, on- got on to Everton, if you're an American, maybe because of some of the American players or whatever, um, you can't compare this experience with any other team that you follow because, you know, if I'm talking about my favorite, you know, if I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys or I'm talking about uh, I live in Oklahoma City, like the Oklahoma City Thunder, my NBA team, uh, I can generally point to, OK, these are the deficiencies of the team. This is where they need to get better, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And there's a very like cause and effect sort of relationship there. With Everton, as Dave pointed out at the beginning, you have a situation where you have different players, different managers, different regime completely, different ownership in the last several years, and yet somehow some of the same wacky zany things happen. It's where it's the origin of uh, what I uh, often refer to as the curse comes from, et cetera. So we set the table there knowing that this discussion is really going to be a mix of kind of diagnosis and ideas and thoughts, but we fully acknowledge that um, one, we've all had opinions that have been proven to be completely ridiculously wrong about Everton in terms of who they should sign or what will work and what won't work. Um, but even if we did, uh, logic itself is not the driving force behind Everton. We'd like to think that you get the right manager, you get the right players, that it'll it'll probably all come good. And I, I think eventually it will. I'm still hopeful that at some point there has to be some transcendent figure in the form of both a manager or player or players or whatever that, that steer this thing out of the ditch. But um, just know that there are dark uh, magical forces at work here uh, and you just have to kind of be on board with the ride of it all. Um, there's still, even with the heartbreak, uh, this is still a, a, an interesting ride. It's not, it's not always fun, but it's definitely never, I don't think it's that boring. The, the most boring thing about Everton is somehow, sometimes really just how they play on the pitch. Exactly. Uh, but, but the, but the, the drama around Everton on a day-to-day basis and, and the reason why I am uh, such a fan of the, of the, uh, what, what I guess Patty called me out for calling it the off season, uh, the, the break, the, whatever you want to call it, um, Patty's a snob, by the way. Bad yeah, news, Boylan. Really is a snob. Um, but but the reason I'm such a fan of it is because I am fascinated in sport by team building. I am fascinated by not just player acquisition, but what you do with the parts you have. Can different ideas work in different ways? How do you build a w- winning culture? All these things that I talk about ad nauseum uh, on the Blue Room. And so that's why I've got Dave on today to have the big chat. And I want to start, Dave, with... Um, I think what I'll do, and just because you know, I've got time, we got time to stretch out here a little bit. 
Um, we'll kind of go through the different levels of the team from the goalkeeper forward, but I, I want to start really quickly with the, the manager, uh, Carlo Ancelotti, as, as Mark Mosey very eloquently put it, uh, doesn't deserve what he's had to watch. Um, mm-hmm. We really all should feel guilty for him having to look at this Everton team, someone of his caliber and his ilk, but uh, as we've talked about uh, when he was appointed and even now, I think we're all, I think the one thing all Blues can generally agree on is, well, I shouldn't assume that. Uh, one thing we can generally agree on is that Carlo Ancelotti is a fantastic manager. He's the right guy. Uh, I believe he's the right man for this moment. Um, and if there's any hope of kind of dragging this thing forward, it's going to take, I've said before, it's going to take a transcendent figure. And he is certainly a transcendent figure in this sport, uh, just given his record, um, given his approach to the game. He is very much a, there's very much an Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of vibe about that guy uh, that I really respect. Um, but he has certainly got a task ahead. And and so what I want to start with is I don't want to get into a history of Carlo Ancelotti because I think we all know that. But um, I want to start with a comment that he made in a presser right before the Bournemouth game. Um, and, and this has been a word that everyone has kind of stuck, gotten stuck on, which is uh, Carlo Ancelotti's expectation uh, during this break, during this offseason, is that there will be an evolution in the club. Um I, I think that is an acknowledgement that it's not all not all the work is necessarily done during these six weeks, but it's more the idea that that process has to really get started significantly uh, during that time. Because, of course, evolution means that you are evolving as a club on multiple levels that go beyond just bringing in players. Uh, but I think that there's certainly something in his tone uh, that that sort of suggests that he has an expectation of being supported uh, in this way. Um, I, I have that expectation. I think we all ought to have that expectation. I mean, what would be the point of paying the money that you've paid and going to the Herculean effort you've gone to to bring in someone like him if you're not going to uh, back him not only in transfers but in general in general just kind of supporting the initiatives he has uh, in terms of transforming the club so Dave I want to start with you there uh, what do you make of of those comments and do you believe that Carlo Ancelotti believes that he will be backed in in such a manner we can talk about the competence of our ability to support him in that manner but let's talk mm-hmm. first and foremost about what you think his expectations are I think his expectations, um, I think it's a twofold question, Rob. I think his expectations when he first come in um, will differ vastly, personally. How could they not, based on what he's seen since he come in? So I, I can't imagine he was a, a, an enthusiastic watcher of Everton's football before he was uh, contacted about the job. I, I don't think that was going to be the case. And why would it, um, for, for any neutrals out there to listen yeah. to this? Um, me and Rob are very honest about sort of Everton's general irrelevance to your general football fan, um, and it's it's quite funny that Rob talks about Everton not being bored in, in any capacity, but on the pitch. And I don't think any football fans in football for is just that simple. You know, let's watch them for ninety minutes and then go about our business. But obviously, with our shows and everything we put out, we do dig as deep as we possibly can. And I feel as if when he when he first come in, I, I think he was being sold something. Uh, 
quite frankly, Rob, I don't think it's possible now. Uh, certainly not in one window, which I think will be a gradual realization of his, which is why he said those things about an, an evolution this summer. Um, because to be quite scathing of it as fans, there has to be a foundation to evolve from, surely. It implies that this is a, a stage in a process that has been worked upon since. But I, I personally think we're very much in a year zero scenario. Um, and well, we're further behind that, if you like, because we have so many players there that I think a lot of people at the football club and probably even themselves, by the example they've shown on the pitch, don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. So I think when he's come in, he probably hasn't had that knowledge. He hasn't known that Everton are in a position where we have a lot of footballers at that club who are on extremely high wages, who don't have any real sell-on value or any value that you can get some recompense for what we've already laid out and they would be hefty transfer fees. You mentioned Jordan Pickford in passing, Robbie will get on too, but mm-hmm. you know, essentially you're not going to get anywhere near £30 million for him, I would suggest right now, especially given the, the COVID situation as well and the transfer market and how that's going to work out. Um, so when he when he's come in, I feel as if he was probably sold. This side isn't too far away from European football. In fact, if we can have a decent run towards the end of the season, we might find ourselves in a Europa League position, provided it goes down to maybe sixth or seventh in the Premier League, which yeah. is, there's a likelihood that still happens, of course. And right up until we played Spurs, which I think was five games ago, mm-hmm. uh, ever somebody in that conversation, had they gone to Spurs' new stadium and won that game, they were in the mix for fifth, sixth, well, sixth and seventh at least mm-hmm. in the competition. Um, and that performance in itself, which I don't want to put too fine a point on it because we've over-analysed why Everton do that when they get to stages where there's something meaningful on a game. Uh, I, I, I more want to get into the fact that that in a nutshell and a microcosm is the issue that he has to deal with. One of the big issues he has to deal with is when Everton arrive at a stage where they, they've got an open door and they can walk through it, they mm-hmm. tend to close it themselves. Nobody else slams it shut. They will close it on themselves. And that, that's, what, that, that's generally what happens. In those scenarios, we've seen it many, many times over the years when they've had the chance to do anything of real significance um, for anybody else, let alone ourselves. So he, he'll have been told that and he'll have come in with an expectation that this side probably needs an additional five or six players to get them into that mix for Europa League football season upon season. And then I imagine in his head, he'd have had discussions along the lines of, well, after a season of that, if we can bolster the squad even further, um, and I'm fast forward to maybe a year's time right now, Everton can get within touching distance of Champions League places. They can establish themselves, certainly broaching the top six and trying to get beyond it and have a squad sufficient enough to be able to do that and almost have that the, the, the bottom line of their expectation will be a minimum requirement of European football. The top of it, obviously, will be getting in the Champions League. I, I think that's where he'll have envisaged this club being inside of a year. I think he'll have been told that that's a realistic prospect by those at the football club, both in terms of the players we have now or did have and uh, what he can expect from a transfer window. That's all changed. Um, I think it's it's categorically clear that, firstly, it's not going to happen inside a year. Uh, I think that would be deemed overly ambitious right now. And even to the most enthusiastic of fans, and I've been talking to many of them uh, this morning on social media in, in, in sort of the light of what we're doing today, Robin. There's there's a there's a there's a hope with Carlo Ancelotti that obviously brings expectation with it, but I also think 
the sense of realism is obviously hindering his potential in terms of the progress he can make with his side, but also the fans' expectations on this team as well. And uh, I've sort of gone to a staple line over the last few weeks with the performances and said, well, my biggest fear is Carlo Ancelotti comes and goes without being able or without the football club being able to do him justice in this job. That maintains my biggest fear, uh, simply because of the language we've heard in regards to transfers and recruitment. And Marcel Brand's talking about possibly only two or three additions, not real big money to spend for numerous reasons, FFP connotations and whatnot, and all that sort of thing. Well, that COVID, means, COVID's a big part of that too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the most cynic of cynics uh, like myself would say, well, that's a pretty easy excuse to go to to not spend some money this summer if indeed they have it to spend. Uh, and then, of course, you can go down the rabbit hole of Alicia Usmanov's links and, and and things like that, which I don't I don't think we need to at this time. I don't think it's a pertinent point to make. But um, he he will now I think be reflecting on this, thinking, well, this is nothing like what I was sold. I'd still think he's got a general enthusiasm for the job. I still think he's excited about what he can do. But what's changed is the dynamic that has changed. Is he'll have probably felt that. The initial conversations would be Everton selling the football club to him by way of saying, we'll support you to uh, supplement a decent squad of players that can that have been way underperforming and can get into Europa League this year. With that not happening and then seeing how far they've plummeted by way of how this team plays, individuals who are quite, you know, quite categorically not up to scratch, he's then, I think, will go back to them and say, look, this is a this is a considerably worse situation than the one in which I was sold. In that case, to compensate for that, I need X amount of millions more or X amount of players more in order to get this club to the place where you told me it was when I first come in, with the potential you told me it had when I first come in. Now that then puts an, a, a, a real responsibility on the hierarchy at the club, Rob, in terms of the boardroom. Recruitment from Marcel Brands, that relationship obviously will remain key and has to be. But one point I think you made a few months ago really well was about how the the relationship between the director of football and the manager is obviously imperative in all of this. It's probably the most important of things when it comes to recruitment. Mm-hmm. Ever since Brands has been in, obviously he's only worked with one manager previously, and that's Marco Silva. But when you look at uh, previous managers in terms of Allardyce, where Steve Walsh was there, uh, Ronald Koeman, it always felt to me like the main figure in that recruitment area of the, the football club was with the director of football. And it felt like almost that the manager was essentially presenting something to them saying, I'd like a player in this position, that position, give them a little bit of a profile. And the director of football would either present a list of options or go and get somebody uh, who fits that profile in theory. Mm-hmm. With this, and this is what interests me, intrigues me, and in a, in, a, in a way excites me, is that dynamic with Marcel Brands has now changed because I felt as if Marco Silva was very much playing second key to, to Brands when he was there. Sure. He was a relatively inexperienced manager. He was somebody who had to prove himself. It felt to me that Brands took the senior role in that relationship and the club were happy for that to happen. This now feels like it's completely flipped the other way. I still think Marcel Brands has the authority at the club. They redefined his role, of course, last summer, didn't they, when 
people were talking about who's doing the search for this this manager when when Silva got sacked. Why is the director of football not making this decision? It seems to be coming from Mashiri or Bill Kenwright or combination of both. The director of football role of the football. Club. Well, and Brands is on the board. We should not fail to mention that too. Of course. So inherently, he's part of this decision making, one way or the other. Yeah, but yeah. I get you. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it felt to me there was a general sense that Brands was being undermined um, before Ancelotti was being brought in, in terms of how they seem to be. The names that were plucked out of the air that we used to hear about on a regular basis, Rob Woodverge from David Moyes to you know, different European managers, some of different profiles. There was not one, you know, if you, if you if they were all on the same page, we'd have a list of candidates there, maybe two or three that were all very much from the same background, the same sort of profile, uh, had done similar things in the career, similar levels of availability. And that simply wasn't the case, was it? We had everyone from David Moyes to, you know, young managers from Germany to, you know, Phil Neville or someone like that. <laughs> yeah. The old guard was there. The new the new thing with Mishiri was there. And it Arteta, felt, Arteta's name got thrown in there. I know it's... Yeah, and then, and then Marcel Brandt didn't seem part of that as, as from the outside looking in. Dave redefined his role, if you remember. Denise Badafaxendale, the CEO, come out and said, look, we need to do sort of a, a root and branch thing here. She defined what Marcel Brandt's role was in terms of recruitment and in the selection process and things like that. And it was very much needed and welcomed at the time um, because we needed that clarity on how this thing was running. We then get Ancelotti. And then going back to that point I was just making, we get to this window and I feel as if Carlo Ancelotti is this is the senior figure in that partnership. I don't think Brandt's role will have changed in terms of the day-to-day running of recruitment and scouting and things like that. Very much his remit will stay that way. But I ultimately think Carlo Ancelotti will have a lot stronger hand in that relationship than any manager we've seen before. And that's what should excite us because that, to me, inspires change, if that very much is the case. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, it's just felt like, again, going back to that saying, it just felt a different person's there, but the system stays the same. The system looks like it's been shaken up a little bit just simply because... We have a manager of that acumen that's come in and won't allow. He'll demand a lot more than everybody else that's gone before him. Yeah, the I I suppose and and look, I I think it's so easy to um, within the especially within the proximity of of <laughs> such a bad final day and and a just kind of a meh restart and all of that to to just get get to the negatives, but. I do think you make a good point that there is something to be excited about there. And and I would further add to that to strengthen what you're saying there, Dave, by um, Carlo Ancelotti. And I'm paraphrasing his quotes there, but I, you know, he's asked about some, you know, this relationship recently and he, the way he, he phrased it, the way he kind of framed it was that he and Marcel Brands are in lockstep. They speak every single day. And by the way, whether that's true or not, that's what I want to hear. I want to <laughs> hear a public unity a public, um, you know, joining of hands, if you will, um, that that they are that they understand and agree uh, on on you know it, it's not about every single detail, but it, the the general idea moving forward of what's needed and what's not, and so on. Uh, it, it does feel like. It does feel on the one hand like Carlo Ancelotti is going to be the boss in any room he walks into just because of who he is and what he's done. But I would also say that he is in a position where, 
it's very easy just because we're so used to manager speak where, and especially years of David Moyes, where um, the expectations were being tamped down to the point where, um, the, where you almost just were thankful to, to be alive. And you thought that was, uh, that was enough. Uh, well, look, we're I mean, breathing and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but Carlo Ancelotti, I thought, you know, I feel like the statements he's made about whether, you know, going back to the original the point about using the phrase evolution or the expectation that he's talked about of being backed and, and so on. And, and of course we take, I think it's easy for us to take the, the idea of a manager being backed and frame it as well. The only way you prove he's being backed is if 10 players come in. I, I I've, I've still maintained that, um, I don't think as much as we can say, oh, we need all these players. What I, what I think we have learned, or what I've learned over the years of all the spending, is that it's the 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 issue is not the issue has not been the quantity; it's been the quality of the players that have come in. For me, I I, I would rather have two to three genuine difference makers than six or seven slightly above average guys who aren't really going to move the needle forward mm-hmm. on this thing. And, and I, and I do, I do get the sense that Carlo Ancelotti is not naive. I think that, you, you know, look, you can say, well, he was sold a bill of goods when he came in, which is, you know, there's always a pitch when you're trying to get a manager like him to, to come take a job. But I also want to give Carl Ancelotti credit for being able to assess the situation, even from afar, understand that, look, there's a reason they're coming to me and that I'm the, you know, fourth manager in, <laughs> you know, in a short yeah. frame of time. Like, I, I think... I think he's a he's a realist to a degree. Now, granted, uh, you don't really uh, to, to kind of mix a bunch of metaphors together. You don't really know what Everton is until it really touches you and touches you in the special dark way that we all know about. Uh, and so, I'm sure that this has probably been even more to your point, Dave. I think is right. Like, I think it's been probably in some ways. I think he really understands the scale now of the challenge. Um, what I would also say though, is, and this is where I, I try to look at what can we, you know, because one of the challenges with Everton at the end of every season is what are the concrete things that we know we can take out of a season, good or bad? Um, because even knowing the bad sometimes at least helps you to say, well, we can identify the problem. Now, uh, the, the dark mystical forces, that's for, you know, religious scholars to try to, uh, you know, to try to analyze. I, I can't, you know, I, I only have cute memes about uh, masked killers and stuff like that to talk about the curse. But um, I would say from just a pure factual perspective, the things we know are this um, are, are pretty solidly. We know is this, we know that Richarlison is our best player. We know that we have two double digit goal scoring strikers now, and that that is not something to just be taken, you know, to just dismiss. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. especially given the fact that they were able to produce that in a squad that doesn't score enough at all. And of course, when you, 
find out the find out that Bernard was our third leading scorer. That just shows you how dire the the scoring issues are within the squad. But given with the lack complete lack of a, of an effective or effectual midfield to have two double digit strikers is a good thing. I think we all believe, um, even though I, I kind of temper it with wanting to see more, we believe that Mason Holgate is a long term solution uh, in, in the center of our defense, and. Um, I think that's probably about it in regards to the good, positive things I know. The other thing, but in terms of diagnosing the problem, I I said this before the restart. I I asked the question, what could we actually learn from this restart? I was never convinced that we were going to learn a whole lot new. Now, I will say that I was pleasantly surprised to learn that uh, to to see Anthony Anthony Gordon get significant playing time. And I've seen enough. In terms, of, I'm not saying I'm not saying I've seen enough, and that he's 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 arrived, he's great, he's perfect, or anything like that. But I've seen enough. I've already seen. I, I think where I struggle sometimes when people argue with me about Tom Davis is like I'm squinting to see what the the proponents are arguing. With Anthony Gordon, I don't have to do that, and I get that they're different different positions, and the, you know so on and so forth. But I've seen enough of Anthony Gordon to say that's a first team player, even if he's not starting. That's that is a useful. Um, piece with a ton of upside. Uh, he was young. He's on a controllable contract, you know, for little money right now. Like you'll get him a fresh contract at some point, but that's, that's an asset, you know, for sure. And anytime you can develop someone like him, that's money. You don't necessarily have to go spend out in the market. So that's a good thing. Um, but we know the midfield, central midfield is a problem. Um, Andre Gomes being gone for a large portion of the season didn't help. Uh, when he came back, uh, I, I I tried to temper expectations by saying anything we get from Andre Gomes, considering the speed with which he recovered, is a bonus. But I would also I would also say that he needs to produce more. He needs to be better. But he clearly requires a particular type of partner or a particular type of setup around him. But let's let's be honest, a lot of a lot of midfield players do. They have certain strengths, certain weaknesses. But with Andre Gomes, simply simply. Stated, given the money we've paid to secure him, we need more. He makes good money. We paid a lot of money. We need more from him. I, I understand that. Uh, I would also say that if we had done enough in recruitment um, at a bigger club, and when I say a bigger club in this this particular way, I'm saying in a club with more, uh, we'll just say more resources or who had recruited more sufficiently, um, Andre Gomez probably doesn't come back this season anyway. Or if he does, it's in a very limited manner. Um, you know, I, kind of in the way I think like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain came back uh, for, you know, in a like he came back after a long injury and then just, but, you know, kind of worked his way in or whatever. Whereas we had to put Gomez in straight away because of how bad the central midfield performances mm. were. So I, I, I temper all of that and I don't want to make too many excuses for him because we simply need more. Um, outside of that, look, central midfield is a mess and it's it, it, it compromises the defense and the attack. It, it you just it's the heart of your team. It's got to be better. So, you know, those are the things I, I absolutely know. And then the other thing I feel like I've known for a while, but I feel like more people are jumping on this bandwagon with me. And this is where I want to start kind of going backward to forward on in the team, Dave. And I want your thoughts on this. Um, I have been a skeptic of Jordan Pickford for a while now, um, mainly because if if you want to make it a, stat, a stats-driven discussion, we all know that there are challenges to quantifying statistically keepers, but 
of the statistics that are readily available, um, you know, the XG, the, the, you know, you know, all of those sorts of things, the sheer number of goals, which I know are not totally on a keeper, et cetera. Um, there's a solid argument that more and more people are making that outside of Kepa at Chelsea, Pickford may, may be the worst, one of the worst keepers in the league, given what we've paid, given the hype around him, given that he's, England's number one. If I have to see that flashed on the screen one more time, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. Um, he has been a he's been a he's been a disappointment for a couple of seasons running now. Um, I am of the opinion that my bit, but but my I guess what I would say is my bigger issue though with a keeper because I I understand that keepers can ebb and flow to a degree at a certain formative stage of their their career, but I am. I, if I hear one more person say that he's still young or anything like that, I'm sorry. I, I Just because keepers can play till they're 40 like Buffon does not mean that they are young at 26 to 20. You know, we wouldn't be saying that about any other position on the pitch. Um, I don't know that Moise Keane gets as much slack cut for him as Jordan Pickford does at times. Um, I I am it, – it's, it's the – it's a lot of little things that add up into a big thing. It is the, the facial expressions when he's, you know, when he's giving up, you know, almost giving up a soft goal when we're down two goals already again. And I, I forget which game that was, uh, that was Lester, I think, or Wolves. That was the Wolves yeah, game. Yeah. Um, but it's the soft goal, it, but really it's the soft goals and it's the, it's the attitude about improvement. It's the attitude of defiance about needing to be accountable or better it is the it is all those nonverbal things that i see in his expressions which you don't want to make too much of but i said this a couple of weeks ago but the biggest fundamental sin of jordan pickford for me dave is that i frankly don't think he cares about everton that much yeah uh, and, and again, I don't mean that in a way like I'm the first person to say players don't have to love Everton like we do. But I really just think that he thinks that his that as long as he's the number one keeper in England, that that's really the only major standard he has to worry about for himself. He enjoys being famous and he enjoys being well paid and he enjoys being the England number one. And he benefits from the fact that there's not a ton of competition at, at that position right now uh, for him in the national team. But the entire sum total of the vibe, I use that word a lot, the vibe he gives off is that he doesn't give a shit. And if, if he's not, you know, for, for a guy who occasionally will have a cool, you know, penalty save here or there, or stop a, you know, a great shot here or there, those things are outweighed by all of the other things, the soft goals, the mental mistakes, the fact that he's suddenly not very commanding in the air um, at like he was maybe in the first season or so. It's like, it's just all these things. And I'm like, I come back to the same idea. Give me boring keeper who I don't have to think about. Who's going to give me a seven out of 10 every week. Um, you, I would, I, I will, this is going to sound audacious. I would argue Dave that Joel would have had a more, had would have had a more solid season <laughs> than what we've seen from, from Jordan Pickford this season. So having said that, he is the the problem with Pickford is that 
his situation is problematic as well. Um, We'll get to Michael Keane in a bit, but Michael Keane, at least during the restart, in some ways made himself into an asset. So if you want to have the discussion about do we have players we could sell on to get to raise money for other positions where we may have depth in other places, et cetera. Um, Jordan Pickford in a very, in the most Everton slash Jordan Pickford way managed to, to play so poorly in these last few games that he's completely gutted any potential value or, you know, any attempt that we might've had to kind of trick someone into being interested in buying him. We couldn't get enough for him to make it worth it right now. And we're kind of stuck with him. And so now we're really at the mercy of Jordan Pickford to actually look in the mirror and say, I need to be better. And I don't know if he has the capacity for that. So as much as we talk about being stuck with players like Gilfie Sigurdsson, I think we are stuck with Jordan Pickford for a bit, and that's it's it's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It's very scary, Rob. And it, so that now is the time, isn't it, where we, where we look at points how you either improve him, which I think our options are relatively small in that regard, because Carlo Ancelotti himself has said he's spoken to him, yet we've still seen no real uplift in performance or attitude. Uh, he's still... I mean, it's a t- it's a type of thing that gets on your nerves, isn't it? Because you you invest so much into this club, uh, and you're absolutely right. I, I don't expect anybody, let alone in this day and age, to have any real loyalty to our football club, uh, to any football club really. It's a mercenaries world out there. We know that, uh, which is why you know, and I'm sure we'll come on to this as well with Richarlison. There's a there's an issue regarding that in terms of what he said recently about his future at the football club. But in Jordan Pickford's case. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I couldn't have worded it better, Rob, when you're talking about how this England thing seems to have taken a strong hold on him. It seems to be his, his priority when he, he's not he's not aware that, well, for, I don't know, 85 90% of his footballing career, his club is going to be the main thing he has to focus on. That's the way football is. He can't play international football every week. He'll play three or four months a season, um, three or four points in a year. And that's about it for international breaks. A lot of those are friendlies as well. Um, but yet he seems to have that at the forefront of his mind. And it's almost as if the success from the World Cup has been a negative effect for Everton. And, and that's a that's a big, big blow to us because when he first came in, I was more than happy for the football club to spend whatever it needed to get a goalkeeper like that to our club. A lot of us were saying, here's a guy who's going to be there for at least the next decade. And like you've just said there, he's going to be that goalkeeper that you just don't even think of. Like Leighton Baines, who just retired, you almost think of Leighton Baines, you take him for granted because he's that good and consistent. That's what you want from a goalkeeper. You want somebody you don't even bat an eyelid unless they're yeah. injured and you think, uh-oh, what are we going to do? Yeah. In terms of, in terms of solving this, a um, couple of theories that I've been thinking about lately, and that is um, the timing of the lockdown and the repercussions from it in football could help us out in, in a slightly obscure way. Okay. That means, well, if we if we haven't got any sufficient way in which we can motivate this guy, and he's only motivated by his international prospects and his and his way of making a career, then let's dangle that as the carrot for a minute. Let's put that on, on the front page of our agenda as well, just in regards to Jordan Pickford, nobody else, and think, well, the Euros, which he'll be I'm, I'm sure striving his best to be England's number one goalkeeper when they go to that tournament, which has been postponed until next summer. It would have been this summer. Had it been this summer, 
I think we would have seen a rise in his performance for the obvious reason that he has to keep his place. Mm-hmm. So I'd hate to have it being moved back a season. He's very easily, psychologically, uh, subconsciously or otherwise, able to put England at the back of his mind. And that means disinterest in Everton. That means his performance for Everton because he has no one to prove anything to in the short term. Drop off a cliff. And this is, this is me trying to get in his psyche here. Yeah. So then, with the tournament taking place next year, we're then able to think, well, he has to perform next season. There is no way he keeps his number one spot for England and under Gareth Southgate unless he performs for Everton. Now, whilst those two things are married together, I don't think we'll have as much of a problem as we have had this season and probably last season as well. Um, Let's forget last season, he's coming off the back of that World Cup. So anything for him, I presume, mentally will be an absolute letdown. It'll be coming off a real high for him, having to go back to playing in a side that's mid-table without very, you know, with very little prospects of doing anything better, Europa League maybe, but that's not going to float his boat because he's been he's been the star on a national level, on an international level at a World Cup. It doesn't get any bigger than that for him. Such is his mindset, Rob. I don't think other players have to even think about this sort of thing because essentially they're professional about it, and and I do feel it's a, it's a pretty harsh thing to say about a professional footballer, but he, he's conducted himself. In an unprofessional manner, and and that is, is simply unacceptable. I think it'll be unacceptable for Carlo Ancelotti. But yet we arrive in a in a place right now where we can't afford, both literally and uh, any any way otherwise, to replace Jordan Pickford or to have conversations about what we do in terms of getting more out of him. I I think that it's sad enough to say the ship has sailed in terms of getting him motivated to play for Everton. The fact we've got him on a six-year contract as well. Oh, six years. The faux pas that the football club itself has made and giving him those guarantees. So I'm looking for how to fix it. Well, a couple of options. A lot of people talking about Ben Foster of Watford, uh, who would essentially he cost buttons. He's 37 years old, and he's exactly that profile you've just said, Rob, about getting a goalkeeper in who will just do the job, go home, and you don't have to think about him twice. He's 37 years old, yes, also feeds into the theory that Jordan Pickford's never had any real competition in the club, which I think is true. Yeah. Something like that comes in. They're both a mentor to him. If they're able to get that kick out of him, great. If not, they're genuine competition. And we've seen it at Chelsea. You spoke about Kepa earlier. Aside from Pickford, I think he's he's you know under the spotlight, shall we say, in terms of the goalkeepers on the big stage in the Premier League. Hasn't been a great season with David De Gea either, but I don't think United are willing to throw the towel in on him. Uh, Kepa, on the other hand, last day of the season taken out of the side. And Willie Caballero, who's 40 years old, comes in. Why is Willie Caballero entrusted with getting Chelsea into the Champions League at the expense of a £71 million goalkeeper? Simply because he's got that experience and Frank Lampard knows. Essentially, he's the lesser of two evils. So he's thrown him in and thought, yeah, I trust this guy. He's won Premier League titles. He's won trophies with Manchester City. He's got the pedigree to cope with a big game. We don't have that. We don't have anybody. You can't throw Jonas Wassel in. You can't throw Yabajini in, who's still, who's still a kid. That's not going to happen. That's not going to have effect on Jordan Pickford either. You get yeah. somebody like that in, that in, Rob, and you've automatically, I think, changed a little bit of, of what Jordan Pickford is in this side. And the second thing is the Euros itself. So it's been heavily rumoured, and we've seen it this season. If you look at uh, Henderson at Sheffield United and Nick Pope at Burnley, the other guys who get in the squad with Jordan Pickford, 
there is no there's no reason why Gareth Southgate would not select them ahead of him right now. They they in the pecking order, I think Jordan Pickford's probably second right now. Might well be third. In fact, if it goes on form, he's definitely third. England have a friendly in September. Uh, I think it's the first international break of the new season. That will that will show us a lot because I think he'll go. He's always going to jump Pickford in the starting eleven. If yeah. he, that would indicate that Pickford is no longer his number one, and there Jordan Pickford then has a reason to actually start working hard in an Everton shirt. It's really really sad, quite pathetic that we're having to say these things about how to yeah. our own goalkeeper, Rob. But they're the only two ways: either getting a goalkeeper in who will compete, and Carlo Ancelotti will have no qualms about putting him in if Pickford's having an off day or being poor or showing a poor attitude and the England carrot. Both of those things aren't really within Everton's control unless they go out and get that goalkeeper and go buy a Ben Foster. But that's yeah, yeah Robin, it's, it's sad, really. And effectively what I'm saying is he's a lost cause that we simply have to put up with, it feels to me right now. Yeah, I the only potential, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, is there a scenario of any kind where you're able to move on from him. I mean, the, the only something, you know, an interesting link popped up a few days ago from Rob Dawson at, at ESPN um, linking us and leads with Sergio Romero from United um, mm-hmm. who I don't see why Sergio Romero would move to Everton without the promise that he has the ability to really compete for, for real playing time. He's not going to come. Why, why would you leave United? I, like you'd rather be a backup at United right now in champions league. And now you're going to have those games built in, um, you know, if, if he move, if he indeed moves on um, versus coming here to sit behind uh, a keeper who's largely ineffective. I, I think we'll learn a lot by how, um, how we do, address this because I, I do think that as much as there's this talk of, well, we may only sign two or three players, well, two or three players. Well, I don't ever trust those numbers until we actually see them. But I would say that keeper has to be one, right? Because Stecklenberg's uh, gone. Um, Jal Virginia's not ready for that yet. Um, he was a, a highly regarded prospect, but he clearly needs another year out on, on a good loan somewhere. Yeah. Not, not the disaster at Reading. Giannis Lasla, I I thought was a relatively sound decision when they made it, but then curiously, and I, and again, this just goes to the mysteriousness of what happens behind the scenes. The fact that he's there for half a season and gets loaned right back to his former club, it's there's something amiss there, and I, I don't know what it is, uh, but it doesn't appear that he's the answer unless something has changed and they just decide, look, Lasla has to be our number two because we don't have the money to spend on another option. If we go out and we get get uh you know a very fair to spare keeper then you know nothing really changes with Pickford but um it'll be interesting to see who that is because if it's a keeper of any quality I don't think that they come to Everton without without being persuaded that that Pickford's place is not as cemented as as some would have you believe. But I think that feel I think that as well sorry to interrupt but Pickford needs yeah. to feel that as well as a priority. Absolutely well yes I mean look uh the the, the the idea of competition is something that we talk about in every other position. Uh, and we have this kind of special category for what competition means for a keeper. But Pickford has started every single uh, game and every, played every minute for the club since he arrived. Um, he has had no meaningful competition. And it's hard to argue with the results. Uh, they have been 
Uh, and again, with all the caveats of what he's had in front of him, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the results haven't been good enough. And, and look, Carlo Ancelotti uses the pro- uses uh, his voice uh, not only in the room but with the media to try to big up players, to try to get them to be motivated. You've seen how he has even raised the bar for Richarlison to score 30 goals, or he's talked about how he thinks Calvert-Lewin can be a truly special player. You know, he uses that to try to get players motivated. He tried to do that with Pickford recently, and the lack of response from him, I think, like to your point, is very telling. But I do think it'll be interesting to see how it results in, uh, you know, what what the the next move is in that regard. Um, I want to I want to move on just because I know that God I could do a whole two hours on Pickford and his mindset, and I won't I won't I won't get into that because I've got to, I actually have a job to go to today after this. But, um, well, we should make uh, these shows per player. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, hey, we well, we have six weeks to fill. You never know what we can come up with. But I want to move on to the defense because I do think that as much as the midfield is the most obvious area where there needs to be improvement, and it'll almost be the shortest conversation because I think we can already acknowledge the midfield's going to need reinforcements, going to need some spe- you know some special types of players, probably at least two additions, given the fact that that Gabamin's coming back from a, an Achilles, and and there's just a there's a lot of unknowns there. But I want to start with defense because the defense presents a series of quandaries for us. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts there. Um, of course, Leighton Baines has retired. So you've got that. Um, I think Luca Dean, for as much as we were kind of underwhelmed at points this season, it's hard to argue with the production. He's actually got a decent shout for our player of the season, you know, damning praises that may be in a season like this. His assist numbers have been good. I thought he was rock solid uh, during the restart. I, 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 it's hard to have a problem with Luca Dean. In fact, there have be- begun to be links that have popped up for, for you know, for him as a kind of a Ben Chilwell uh, consolation prize for some other clubs out there who may be looking for a left back. I, I hope we keep him because I, I don't see us losing him just because I don't think we'll be willing to deal on him because we don't have any solution at left back if he goes, uh, as far as I know, and so. We signed the French, the young French kid, uh, Nkuku. I'm probably butchering his name, but I'm going to go with it. Um, but you, he's expected to start the season in the under 23. So I would expect that there is, and there have been some decent shouts uh, given Wiggins' situation that that uh, you go back for Anthony Robinson again. Though my 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 contention is that that poor kid was lucky enough to escape. Um, escape Alcatraz once in, in the form of Everton. I don't know that he would just come back, but, you know, who knows? Maybe he will. Um, but I think that would be a decent solution there as well. But left back to me, I'm not really worried about. Um, right back, uh, that's going to be interesting. We'll get to the central center of defense here in a, in a moment, but uh, it appears, if you believe the rumblings, that John Joe Kenny is probably coming back. Uh, unless, to the point that we need to raise some money, um, he is a very sellable asset. If if you know if Schalke come in and say, "Look, we'll we'll give you twelve million or 15, twelve to fifteen million, you know, that may be a bit high in the Bundesliga, but let's just say twelve million. I'll just use a, a round number there: twelve to fifteen million. Um, the question becomes: Do you see him being a better? a genuine option for you to start the season with at right back? And if you don't, and they're willing to give you money. You go ahead and say, hey, you know, we've developed this asset. He, put, he went out on loan, he played well, and we got money back for him. And I think you're, you're fine with that. Um, but if John Joe Kenny is of sufficient quality and you think that he could be a solution at right back, 
I think that's an easy solution to just go ahead and say, let's not spend the money there. Let's bring him back. Him and Seamus Coleman can can essentially battle it out for that right back position. I'm not convinced, by the way, that that makes it a strength in our squad, yeah. but it gets us, it buys us another season. I will say that if we're going into next season with Seamus Coleman and a, a complete void there behind him at right back, I, I mean, frankly, Dave, I don't really want to continue to start Seamus Coleman giving his, given his age and his deteriorating uh, returns. Um, you know, I think he's been okay. Uh, I think sometimes the bar is so low for him that if he performs at a seven out of 10 in a game, we lavish him with praise. But the bottom line is, is that he is of a certain age now. And that position now is so in demand in regards to having fullbacks that can really attack and, and his best days in that regard are a bit behind him. I don't know how you feel, Dave, about the right back position. If you, I, I was never really impressed with Kenny, but I, I acknowledge that I haven't really seen much of him other than the highlights you occasionally get from Schalke. Um, we've seen obviously now that uh, Sidibe is going; uh, he's not going to be retained. Uh, Sidibe had some moments, but he wasn't for the money it would have cost to resign, and that's better spent somewhere else. So right now we're looking at uh, Seamus Coleman, potentially John Joe Kenny and or a mystery guest that comes in at right back uh, to be signed. What are your thoughts on Kenny? Do, do you think are in the right on the right back position in general in that regard? I think the, the sort of option not to take Sadibi, um, which was pretty, pretty emphatic from the club at the tweet they put out saying, best of luck with your future. <laughs> it was like a mid, midnight on the day the window opened. Like, see you, buddy. Yes. It's been nice, been nice knowing you. <laughs> your future, all your future endeavors and all that sort of thing. Uh, sort of like reminds me of jobs that I get sort of laid off from when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> next time, all that sort of those platitudes, those empty, empty messages you get for doing yeah. a pointless job in retail. <laughs> Best of luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, most empty, empty notions you'll ever get. Really, almost, almost like an automatic reply to an email, wasn't it? That was it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what it felt like with Sadibi. Um Interesting that they see that role there and it, it points me to the to the conclusion that I think we'll end up with uh, Coleman and Kenny as the two next season uh, unless something in excess of what you were talking about as a ballpark figure for Kenny comes in I can't see that happening Rob I, I think that mm-hmm. they've seen it as a role that they like you've rightly said can get away with for another season perhaps um, barring, barring complete catastrophe and injury in that role, uh, I, I think they'll start next season with Coleman and Kenny. Uh, Coleman okay. as senior right back and, and captain of the club, of course, with Kenny as, as backup. And I think that that probably suits all parties. I think um, in terms of thoughts on him, he was very, very raw. I think when when he first got blooded into this side, but he comes with the caveat, the same caveat that, that Dominic Calvert Lewin had at the time, and that was, well, how can you expect these young guys to kick on and progress? Given the the empire that the shitstorm that's going on around them and, and being right. in the position, change of managers all the time, change of tactics, being asked to perform different roles, um, and I understand that that was more that was more akin to what happened with Calvert Lewin in terms of the different jobs he had to do. Kenny was always a right back; he didn't have to do anything different. I think maybe once we put him on the left when when we had an injury crisis, um, and quite clearly, I think Schalke like him, Rob. I think yeah. He, there's some decent reports come from him there. I didn't see him too much myself. Um, they quite obviously would like to make that a longer term deal. Uh, but I just think for the sake of what else he's working, this squad, and I'm, 
look, I'm sure we'll find this happening in, in a number of positions. Um, you know, for instance, just on a different subject there, but I was talking to Paddy Boyle and he thinks Jared Bradthwaite will probably end up going out on loan with Lewis Gibson. I don't know. I mean, I think that perhaps one of them and Brantwaite, we've saw more recently than, than Gibson at all in, in an Everton shape. He's done really good things at Fleetwood. Um, yeah. I think one of them will stay as the fourth choice simply because it, it's it's a convenience right now. Um, yeah, it's money you don't have to spend. It's way, Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and that's what I see in this right-back role. It is, it's an area I think they will pro- probably think internally we can get away with having a competency from Coleman and John Joe Kenny whilst not right. expecting too much. You know, well, Dave, we talk about it all the time. The club has to, frankly, do a better job of, of getting the most out of the resources they already have as opposed to constantly giving up on someone really quickly and just you know moving on and paying more money. Kenny went out on what is regarded as a successful loan. So in theory, this is the idea. He goes out, successful loan, comes back a better player, and now you, you use him instead of spending the money, you know, at least in that's the theory. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the, the caveat that comes with all that, Rob, is the, these are going out to scarred players, <laughs> you know, yeah. in a normal environment, like Chelsea, <laughs> when they loan players out, they bring them back. Everything's all fine and lovely, and you've never had to experience the, the trauma of an Everton, a typical Everton season where yeah. it's being thrown about at the best of times. I mean, even when things are good, we're always arguing with each other. It's a difficult environment and it's been neglected. Um, there's a recent episode we did of um, uh, Blue Room Extra. It was the Subs Weekly show with, with uh, Conor O'Neill and Paddy. You were really, really good on this about how the academy structure has to change. It's been neglected for so long to the point in where parents of younger players, um, obviously mentioning no names, have been unhappier how Everton have controlled um, their the, the young players and how they've you know, not really manufactured decent loan moves and progressive states for them. And right. you can see that far and clear. You mentioned one there. You have Virginia goes to Reading and has a disaster. You know, you think of Kieran Dahl shipped out a lot. He went to Forest and um, he went somewhere else before ultimately ending up at, at Wigan where he actually flourished a little bit. Um, yeah. That, that to me, would indicate that that change is happening. And I think we listened to that show from a couple of weeks ago, Paddy and Connor are saying that sort of thing, that it has been addressed and, Everton are very much trying to get back on an even footing with that sort of thing. Um, but that'll take time to materialise, Rob. It'll take time for the next batch of youngsters to come through who won't have those scars to carry forward with them. That's the real thing that John Joe Kenny will have to deal with because the, he'll come back with baggage that people won't forget, uh, i.e. when he was in the touch side when David Gunsworth took over for that nightmare spell where he decided to you know, remove all of the signings the club had made and put in all the young players. And they simply mm-hmm. went for that. It ended in disaster. And yeah, I'm, I think they probably ended up with a little bit of a, a scar on there that might take some time to heal. I think John Joe Kenny's in that category. But nonetheless, I think it'll do him good to come back. Um, yeah. Being, I say, an understudy, Coleman's injury record isn't great, even if you take a well, right. horrific leg break from a couple of years ago. He's an aging player as well. He, I don't think he'd right. be able to do. To you know, three games a week. He's not able to do Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. There's absolutely no way he's going to be able to do that. You know, you, it's a difficult. That's a difficult task for a 25 year old player in the middle of the park, as we've seen. Um, so, when he- Dave, on that point, is the new season going to be the schedule going to be still even 
in, in an attempt to kind of get back on a quote regular cycle again, is it going to be a bit compressed because it's starting, you know, a little later? Are we going to have some yeah. more of that mid midweek games uh, for, for the league? This side of Christmas, it will be. I think yeah. we'll, we'll get to something that looks a little bit more normal in the new year. Um, okay, that's what I thought. September 12th started, three and a half, four weeks later than usual. Right. It has a trickle down effect. Yeah. 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 But you're, look, the Coleman point, I think, is I always try, I, I, I hate that I even have to caveat it because, you know, look, Coleman's a great dude. Um, he's, he was great value for money. None of that will ever change. We're going to, we're going to love him when he, you know, and adore him when he goes and all those, those caveats. Speaking about the minimal amount you paid for him and it's his song, it's, it's everything to touch. You think it's Seamus Coleman? It's the brand. Without talking about that 60 grand price tag. And, how much yeah. value he was. Do you not think yeah, we hindrance at this stage of his career? Yes, it's like it's yeah. silly to talk about. Like okay, we let, let's just get that off the table. The the bottom, let's talk about today. I mean, yeah. God, we talk about the past a lot here, and for, you know, I get why. But you know, look, Coleman is Coleman is of a certain age. He has been you know, he's been about a league average to slightly below average right back for a couple seasons now. Some of it's been injury related. Some of it's just that, um, you know, his best days, when, when you're in a position that demands as much uh, uh, running and athleticism as, as being a fullback does, your best days are probably going to be in your 20s. And that's, that's, that is not a slight at him. Oh. Um, we're just in a position where we need, uh, you know, we need more. It, Kenny at least represents uh, youth and energy there that, that I think could be good. I, I, again, my idea is that I, I'm not convinced that either of them are, are really what we ultimately need it right back, but that, that at least gets us through, you know, you can argue that it gets us through another season. Uh, maybe you have in certain formations or in certain scenarios, you have a, a central defender who can slot in it right back if needed. Um, you know, God, you could probably deploy Holgate all over that formation if you wanted to. But um, yeah, I, look, I want to I, I definitely want to talk about the center of defense because I do think it presents yeah. some really interesting uh Interesting quandaries, some interesting potential opportunities. I put out a poll, Dave, uh, last week sometime of what I and – I, and I addressed this in greater detail in last week's episode of The Kickabout with uh, Mark Mosey uh, and uh, Kate Riley James where we talked about what I call the, the Michael, the Michael Keane hypothetical. Um, credit to Michael Keane. He is really uh, – he played well uh, for the most part during the restart. Uh, he he was very the worst game for him was against Bournemouth. Honestly, I think it's the worst he's looked. Um, he still has those moments where he looks like a a, a baby giraffe uh, when he gets isolated in space because he's not he's just not built for that. Um, you know his limitations are his limitations. Uh, you can say that that's taking a shot at him, but look, every player has their their limitations and his, you know, he is built for a particular type of formation, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is, is that Michael Keane, I believe played himself into being considered an asset going into the summer. And when I use the term asset, I mean that an asset can be an asset for you in terms of being part of your plan for next season, or it can be an asset in regards to potentially 
um, you know, commanding a fee. Um, you know, Michael Keane absolutely smacks of the type of of solid solid addition that one of the promoted teams might look at and say, you know, there's there's a, 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 a you know a guy who's uh, been in the national team. Uh, you know, he's not spectacular, but within, uh, if you're playing, you know, you're not playing a high line, you're playing maybe three at the back, uh, maybe what he played at Burnley or, or even playing, you know, very basic, uh, you know, four man, uh, defense, like, you know, Michael Keane's fine. My question was, uh, if Everton do stick with the plan and let's, let's acknowledge that based on any credible media reporting, the plan was always to try, and Gabriel Margalis was the the most common name brought up from Lille uh, that we were linked with. But the plan was to add a center a center half uh, this off uh, during the break. If we stick to that plan, is Michael Keane of more value to us as a third or fourth option next season, or is he more value to us in regards to a fee that he could potentially command? I think I put out the figure of 20 to 25 mainly because I thought, you know, what if I, I may think he's worth 15, but we've seen how inflated the market can be for English center halves. Uh, I still think the amount that, that United paid for Harry Maguire was criminal, uh, regardless of whether they, the, the fact that they ended up in champions league or not, Harry Maguire is not worth what they paid. But that just speaks to the fact that Michael Keane could, in a, in a squad, as you pointed out earlier, Dave, is really kind of bereft of sellable assets. He might be one of our very most sellable assets that you don't that you'd actually be okay with parting with in a certain scenario. Because I look at now the Jared Branthwaite dilemma that we have now, which I, I've heard really good arguments made because my initial thought was along the lines of Patty's that you have a guy, a kid like that. Uh, who clearly has ability. I'm excited by his potential ability, but that needs to be playing games if possible. I've heard arguments. Uh, my original argument was that he's got on loan and play games, but uh, Mike D'Astro made a really good point that, you know, given his age, you could keep him as the fourth center half for a season. He'll still only be 19 after the season. And then you, you send him out on loan. So, that's fine. Uh, Lewis Gibson could use another, maybe use another year out though. Arguably he might be the most ready to come into the first team, but is he really doing much for you as a fourth, fourth option? Again, these are all interesting questions. Um, I think Yerry Mina is uh, his, what Yerry Mina needs to prove to me is that he can stay on the pitch. Um, I think when he plays, he's pretty good. He's got more athletic upside than Michael Keane. But ultimately, regardless of how you feel about Yerry Mina, he is one of the top earners of the club. He's not going to leave uh, this offseason. He's just not because no one's going to pay him what he's making at Everton. Um, and Everton can't afford to sell him low right now when they could sell him higher after you know a summer tournament, after you know after a spell of him playing well. But I, I expect Holgate to be one of the starting center halves, and I expect if we add someone that that player is expected to come in and pair with Holgate, with Mina probably being our third option that you can play in a three-man defense. Um, or, you know, obviously you have Keane or Gibson are in that equation if they're still around. What do you make of, of the, the, the heart of defense right now, um, given the fact that Michael Keane is potentially more movable than anyone else, uh, given the dynamics with Branthwaite and Gibson, what do you think the, the center half position looks like uh, at the start of next season? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just as interesting as the midfield area. I think it's a little bit less important uh, given the fact we have, well, defenders who, who can prove the competence on their day. Like you say, with Jerry Mean, I just want to see more of him. Um, Michael Keane as well has shown he can he can probably hold up a candle to, at, at the uh, at the expense of Luka Dina being 
the player of the season, certainly since lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's had more good performances than bad in, in him, uh, despite, you know, take the, the final day away from that. <laughs> if the if the restart is its own season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Not, not for the whole season, oh, but yes. That's <laughs> become that. Um, I think people talk of it that way, because if you don't, you're talking about, what, five months since we last seen the Premier League football? I know. So. The longest season. Hey, Dave, fun fact. I was at Everton's home opener this past season. It's been that long. Really? <laughs> you remember? Because I was there for I was there for the Watford game in August. That's how long this season's been. <laughs> I mean, we used to talk about Kurt Zuman a lot in defense of the guard, Robin. He was in here last season. It feels like he hasn't played for us for years. <laughs> oh, I know. It's insane. This, this to me is is something that to stick or twist type of scenario. I think because you, you're quite right in what you say. I think there's a, there's a there's a sellability to Michael Keane. Um, just off the top of my head, I think Burnley would probably be interested in trying to take him back. If we're honest as well, they have all assets too. You could probably negotiate with there. Um, James Tarkovsky, for instance, and he's he's always making the headlines as sort of a, a defender that's. Will be available probably for the right price because Burnley wouldn't turn it down, and he's always in on the fringes of the England squad too. Perhaps you're swapping a like for like there in Keane for him. Um, so you know it's not really something you'd, you'd negotiate because I think you'd want cash money for for Michael Keane if you let him go to reinvest it. The question then would be, could we feasibly go out and get somebody for the money we've received for him that improves on him? Uh, I'm. Reticent to say yes, I'm sure. or 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 you take the money and in, invested in midfield, yeah. you know, like yeah. a, like a second a second piece in midfield because we know they're going to add at least one piece there, exactly. right? So, but that would then mean, I guess, that, that one of Brantwaite or Gibson has to stay, and they would possibly end up as the, as their choice, uh, yeah, centre half. So I don't I, I don't think that's going to happen realistically. I think he will stay, and um, because I think they would see that as a risk they probably don't have to take at this stage in terms of trying to improve on that. Now, I still think we need the central defender. I think whilst Brantwaite has been a breath of fresh air since he's come in, I'm inclined to agree with Paddy in terms of Premier League games. I don't want I don't want an 18-year-old centre-half in our team, potentially partnered with a 22, 23-year-old in Mason Holgate, who whilst confident mm-hmm. and whilst showing some real leadership qualities, it doesn't, to me, fill me with confidence that those two would be a a long-lasting partnership if Keane and Mina were injured, for instance. So I think a, a senior centre-half is still on their radar in terms yeah. of recruitment. But I think you're in the realms of looking at somebody, and again, using their language, on loan or a free transfer or a very little expense. I saw it the other day, Jan Vertonghen's left Tottenham. Um, he's 32 years old now. He's still playing for Belgium. He needs first-team football. Hmm. I don't know, someone who can maybe get on a reduced wage... Just spitting spitting names. Just as a stopgap, you know, just to to buy you a year with Brantwaite developing. I think if if our primary focus is going to be on that midfield, as it it should be this Mm -hmm. summer, um, then I feel as if those compromises have to be made elsewhere in this team. People are of the opinion, and and we mentioned it right at the start of the show, that Carlo Ancelotti doesn't come to this football club without certain promises being made. Does that all happen in one transfer window? Do we want it to all happen in one transfer? Window? No. Well, no. I mean, yeah, sure. I'd love, I'd love for a lot of things to happen in one window, but it probably won't. Yeah, that's us as fans thinking that well, what we've got, they're all categorically useless. So yes, I would love a load of new players to come in and we can get all them to one side. But it's, it's not, not realistic though. It's yeah. not realistic. And even if he had the money, I don't think I'd be comfortable with them doing it because we've, we've been here before in situations where we've brought in 
more than half a dozen players in the summer and it just simply hasn't worked. Given the fact that that didn't work and the fact you've got the shortest turnaround in seasons that there's ever been in the Premier League, that it's just not it's just not feasible. I don't think it's wise to do that. I think you have to start looking at different ways to do this. And in, in the defensive area, I expect us to go and sign one player of minimal cost and the others all stay. Um, but I completely agree with you in terms of Michael Keane being an option to raise funds elsewhere. If you're able to go and get, I don't know, a 28 to 30-odd-year-old centre-back of proven Premier League quality or proven Premier League, or proven quality on the continent and you get double laugh for Michael Keane, I can see the logic in doing something like that and parting ways with Michael Keane, say 10 million on a new defender who's in their prime and reinvesting that other 10 million towards that midfield area because I know it's the big discussion I'm going to have as, as a crescendo uh, is going to be that midfield area, Rob. Um, yeah. I, I would be uncomfortable if we don't at least add two bodies in there. And if, if, right. if we have to raise funds from doing something like that, I'd be pretty comfortable with it because I think Carlo Ancelotti's starting pairing next season will be Holgate and Mina. It's just a mean injury issue that I think perhaps might have him think a little bit differently. If you if you sat here right now and you told Carlo Ancelotti, yeah, I mean, he's going to get 30 games next season, I don't think he'd even look at the defence um, in, in terms of trying yeah, to yeah, maybe. a front-line defender. Maybe back up, maybe somebody on a free or a loan that's of minimal cost, absolutely. But I don't think he'd see it as an area where he'd have to spend considerable amounts of money, um, which is obviously in contrast to the midfield. Well, you know, to that point, Dave, that's what I that's where I'm kind of curious because by all accounts, um, before the restart, Everton's plan, and we've been seeing these stories since basically January, their plan during the summer transfer window was going to be to sign another center half. And so to me, it suggested at the time that they were thinking that someone was probably on their way out only because I, my thought was, even though I know we were thinking, well, you know, we failed to center, sign a center half the, the previous season, the whole, the Mason Holgate emergence changed the, the, the equation quite a bit as we all acknowledge. So I guess what I thought was if they're planning to, and we'll use Gabrielle as a placeholder, even though it's, you're hearing it and he may, that may not even happen. But if they were going to sign someone, if you keep Michael Keane, um, let's, and again, I, I prefer Yuri Mina. If, if all things are equal in terms of fitness, I prefer Yuri Mina just cause he's got more ability overall for me, but he and Keane are kind of the same sort of big dominant in the air sort of center has just mean is better on the ball. And I think he's, uh, overall more of a goal threat, uh, off of, of corners and things like that, but whatever. But, but if you're going to sign another one and keep Keen and Mina, and you have Holgate now on a new contract. That's a lot of money suddenly tied up in terms of either fees or weekly wages or a combination of both invested in that center half position. I just I'm skeptical that Everton's plan was to have that much money tied up in one position with four players, whereas I think you have three center halves that are playing you know decent number of minutes depending on formation, et cetera. Even if you've got kind of a two that you like. Um, with a third, you know, with um, a fourth on the periphery, a bit. Um, well, Rob, wasn't it that that 
like you say, going back to last summer, had they secured Zuma or somebody else? I mean, we we were here. We would know about Holgate, yeah. Exactly. Holgate would be that fourth fourth choice, wouldn't he? He, imagine he might be. About him going out on the loan, such as the way he's played, and, and he needs immense credit for this. He pumped yeah. way up that conveyor belt to essentially yeah. mean that he's a senior centre-half for us now. He's in one well, of the key three positions. And by the way, here's the thing on Holgate, and this is not to scare anyone, but uh, much like Calvert-Lewin, Holgate had a really good portion of the season. We haven't seen much of him in the restart because of injury. I believe what I've seen with Holgate, but let's acknowledge that we've had a part of a good, really good season with Holgate, and we're all kind of now thinking, well, that's set. Yeah. I hope he's set. I hope he's as good as we think he is. Um, but things can change fast. So – Let's just assume Holgate is one of those solutions there. I'd also acknowledge too that before uh, the you know before the injury issue and and obviously the restart is almost its own separate entity as we talked about before. Um, you know the first part of the season, Yerry Mina was our most com- comfortably our best center central defender and played really well at the beginning of the season. He and Holgate were developing a pretty good partnership, um, so I think that's feasible. I. I, I tend to think, though, if we bring in another center half, he's not coming in without the idea that he's probably starting most mm-hmm. games. That Yari Mina is probably your third. But to your point, if Carlo Ancelotti feels like he can get from either Mina or Keane, and again, I I would be a little uncom- more uncomfortable with the idea of Keane being our starting center half with 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 Holgate, even though they 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 can potentially form a pretty decent partnership. Um, I guess it'll depend on what's in the midfield, but I, I feel like you're you're putting you're, you're having a more limited player. Whereas I think Keane in in certain scenarios and certain matchups in games, I think people have pointed out, you know, in games against the Burnleys of the world or the Sheffields of the world, like games where you're going to get a lot of aerial attack or whatever that, that he slots in really well. Um, I think he, I think Keane and Mina are both useful players. I just, you know, I feel like you probably have Holgate and a mystery guest as your starters if we bring in someone. Again, that'll be an interesting position to watch. Um, you referenced it before, though. The midfield really is the thing. Um, I, I I think, obviously, the, 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 the problem with central midfield is that it's not good enough, which is obvious. But the other problem with central midfield is that uh, there may not necessarily be a lot of players you can move out of there. Uh, we would all love to be able to get off the Albatross uh, deal of of Gilfie Sigurdsson, but we're never getting our money back for that. So let's just dispense with that notion now. Um, he's probably not given his wages going to find a more attractive offer out there. He's got a guaranteed contract. So why why should he feel the need to move on? So you could argue that look we've got to get more out of Gilfie Sigurdsson and some you know somehow next season because he's not going to just not play given the money he's making he's going to play some your ideal scenario though as we've seen is that we bring in you you know at minimum we believe one is coming in but but and again depending on how you classify midfielders you say you bring in two one kind of central midfielder one guy out on the wing maybe the right we need we need right side reinforcement because i swear to god if theo walcott is starting on the right for us to start the season then then we're that that's problematic we just can't keep continue to have that uh look walcott has been frustrating he's had his moments but you know it's he is a squad player um fine if you want to have him as a squad player he's he he puts in effort he's okay but he gives away the ball a lot we all know Walcott's uh 
you know, issues and I don't need to get into all of those. Um, in central midfield, the player that we need is a one that can partner effectively with Andre Gomez because I do feel like Andre Gomez is probably still be given the money and the wages and everything else. And let's be honest, like when he plays well, you see the idea of Andre Gomez. I keep referring to this notion, Dave, that you see the idea of Andre Gomez yeah. because of the way when he's on his game and when he's not having to chase back because that's not his game. He's not a defensive midfielder at all. Um, that he really can get in that groove, as we saw uh, a couple games ago uh, before the end. Of, not yeah, not the nice. obviously not Sheffield. God, he looked great. Like you can see the idea there, in that he is very proficient passing. He can make some sweet long passes. He's just there's a lot there. The challenge or the remit of the manager and the the coaching staff is to get a more consistency out of him. I think he would probably argue that in order for him to be at his best, he needs to probably be playing in a three, um, you know, whether that's four, three, three, four, two, three, one, um, the, the classic Marco Silva, uh, formation as I will now affectionately call it. Um, but he needs, he needs to have, you know, a little more space to operate. He, or I'm sorry, he needs more space to operate in regards to uh, support around him as opposed to, um, having to, have two men in that midfield and just be thinking about defense and offense. Like he, he needs to be the guy that's, that's a little more on the ball. Um, the name you hear the most that, that we've heard the most and, and who knows there's how, how much credibility there is to the, to the, uh, Alan link. Uh, I think it's Alan Allen. You know, it looks like Allen. If I use my American accent. Yeah. Hey, Al- hey, it's Allen. I'm a- uh, yeah. 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 So let's just say Alan, Allen, whatever. Um, we've seen that. I, I, what you read about him, what you see about him, like he's 29. I don't care. I frankly am tired of this idea that, well, he's got to be 20, you know, he has to be James Madison's age or it doesn't count. Like, no, I mean, I'd love that, but look, we're, we have to, even in the short term, we can address some of the, you know, we already have a pretty young squad. We can address adding pieces. You know, you've got your Branthwaite's, your Moise Keens, uh, your, your Lewis Gibson's. It's like, we're, we're, we're doing some of those things. But we need immediate next season health. Not a guy who's going to be good in three years when Carlo Ancelotti's no longer here. I want a, I want a guy, even if he's 29 years old, who can play and will be good next season and walk in as a starter. Um, you know, my, you know, Alan is a guy who can, uh, seem, you know, he can do a little bit of everything. He, he is, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he can score a goal. He can, he can, do well on the attack. Uh, he's pretty good recovery. He's kind of a good all around midfielder, which we frankly need uh, more of, but, but I'm not saying he's perfect, but uh, given his connection to Ancelotti, he's played at Napoli, another Brazilian, which I definitely don't think hurts, uh, you know, in terms of continuing to solidify the relationship with Richarlison, et cetera. Um, you know, whether it's him or not, the profile of a guy, and I don't care what his age is, but if you, you've got to be able to tell me that, we can bring in one central midfielder, maybe two. I'd love it if it was two, but at least one central midfielder 
who can pass the ball, hold on to the ball, get the ball back a little bit, do a little bit of everything because we have, we have some of the most one dimensional midfielders. I don't know that Tom Davis has a dimension, but let's just say that um, let's say Andre Gomes has one dimension. Uh, Gilfie certainly has one dimension, half a dimension, whatever, but we need guys who can do a little bit of everything because the Adrissa gay size hole in this thing, is problematic in that we need a guy who can win the ball back. Yes, which is why we bid we bid for Hoiberg. And by the way, that's part of partially why I think we may be going for two central midfielders. The fact that we have officially we definitely bid for Hoiberg, which I think we all agree is reliable reporting, suggests that they're looking not only for that a kind of attacking type, but they're also looking for a guy who's comfortable on the ball but can win the ball back, who's kind of you know strong defensively as well. I think that we're after two frankly. Um, those are the things that just have to be done because in le- if we could have been even a mid-table level, uh, we were a mid-table team, but if we could have been a mid-table level of talent in the central midfield this season, we could have finished, we could have finished sixth. We'd given our strike, yeah. given our strikers, Dave. So, so tell me just how important, I mean, just reiterate again, how important it is and what, what you're looking for in terms of the additions we would make in central midfield and, and what you see is the outlook with the remaining pieces we have. I, I, I more importantly, I, I guess I would say, I, I don't see past Andre Gomez as anyone else that has a real argument to get first team playing time. Sigurdsson will be in the first team, but he, I don't, hopefully he's not starting. What, what are your thoughts in terms of the outlook there? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's if you to give it some context in terms of Everton midfielders over the years, um, we've never really been blessed with with a great central pairing, if you like. Um, and if Carlo Ancelotti is going to persist with four four two, then it, it's imperative. It, it, it sticks out a lot more. I think that, that midfield pairing and and how they work, the chemistry they have, and the way they're able to work a, a game of football, what roles they have within that game, the nuances that they're entrusted with. And with you in terms of Gomez, I think he needs two bodies um, around him in order to perform efficiently. Now, his, his fitness again has, has been an issue. I completely agree with your point about if if Everton have perhaps even one more extra body in there. If Gavaman's fifth, for instance, we maybe see him in there and, and Gomez yeah. with half the amount of games he has, even since the big start. Um, and and that 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 is an issue for for Gomez to sort out himself. Thankfully, he had that performance against Sheffield United, which I think reinstilled a lot of confidence in us. Bournemouth was a little bit of a, throw, a throwaway game for everybody, wasn't it, if we're honest? Yeah. As was yeah. Aston Village before it. Um, and yet, I mean, to, again, to give that context, Rob, you think of the the area in which we, we haven't particularly struggled pre uh, Adrissa Garner Gay is midfield. Uh, we've had Gareth Barry in recent years, Mikel Arteta before that. You think of players like Leon Osman. I, you know what, for as much stick as Leon Osman used to get, I would give a lot to have a, a Leon Osman in this side right now, who's adaptable, sure. can play a variety of roles across that midfield. He can do that job for you because he's got some legs and he's... It's a- like a Swiss Army knife. He could play, a, you know, he could yeah. do a few, a little bit of everything. I, yeah, I, I get it. He'll give you six out of ten. Um, we don't have a player like that. We do not have a performer like that. We have certain midfielders whose best they will give you six out of ten if you're being kind to them. Mm-hmm. And that's the area we've arrived in. I actually think our midfield, and I don't think I'm exaggerating here. It's it's championship, it's borderline sort of relegation yeah. kind of midfield as a collective. And um, with with the with the in inverted commas gem of Andre Gomez. Now I think you know once again, and you can't blame supporters for this. We all got carried away when he first came in because the hype 
was matched by his performances. If everybody remembers what it was like at Anfield and when he oh, first yeah. in after that delay. If he'd scored that headed headed goal, I feel like that was one of our sliding doors yeah, moments yeah. of the last couple of years. I'm well with you there, Rob. Yeah. But his output, I think, in a statistical sense, was a little bit less than than everybody made out in, in terms of what he looked like. Obviously, he's aesthetically pleasing to a lot of people, which I think buys him yes, a little bit, a little bit more time than the scrutiny a lot of other people are under. If we well, and, and by the way, Dave, I would add being a gentleman, being a guy who's great off the pitch in the community and great with kids is going to buy you a shocker. You know, by the way, if Jordan Pickford was a little more like that, then maybe people would give him a little more patience yeah. too. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, me and you both know that lad gets enough, gets enough slack given to him anyway, yeah. uh, enough to hang himself with anyway. Um, in the regard to, to Gomez, I think um, yeah, I think that that is true. As much as it, it raises a smile and stuff, if he was if he was a little bit more of a Fabian Delph sort of profile of person and character that we've seen from him, I don't think people would be giving him the benefit and the doubt that they do right now. But that, that's mm-hmm. the way it is. I think a lot of football these days is about social media bravado and you know posturing and stuff like that, and that's just how things are. I think. But if you if you're a football purist, then you know, you'd look at maybe Everton this summer in the ideal summer. You're perhaps looking at somebody who you can upgrade uh, for him. But such the way it is, and as bad as the rest of them have been, we're in an area where he's the main one we've got and he needs supplementing around them. Because I certainly don't think Everton are going to go out and try and find somebody who will play instead of him. Uh, right. Look, I mean, they're, they're perhaps as well looking at, into the new year, Gabamin might, might come back. It's a massive risk. You don't know what capacity he's going to come back in, of course. Achilles injuries are notoriously difficult. Yeah, to I mean, everyone everyone remembers Yakubu. Um, it was brilliant yeah. before they come back. I think he scored one goal after that when he come back from the Achilles problem. It's a, it's a massive issue. We, we know that. I mean, if anybody, Gabamin was a very reliable, reliably fit player before he came to Everton. I'm telling you, it is just yeah. I feel for that guy yeah. so much. Well, there's the case in a nutshell, Rob. Is maybe if you. If anybody needs an actual physical example of the case, then just look at that lad. Yeah. Uh, Poor Gabon. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it, we, we arrive in a situation where, look, you've got Sigurdsson, who's not fit for purpose in a midfield role. That's the only role in a 4-4-2 that he's ever going to get. Either that or he's sort of flogged on the left-hand side, with, with you know, which is a nothing position because it nullifies what the fullback can do in terms of Luka Dean getting forward. He's got yeah. Sigurdsson in front of him. He's not crossing the halfway line anywhere near as much as if he's got yeah. Anthony Gordon, the Roden in front of him, who's obviously got the legs to keep up with the game as well. Sigurdsson, and I, and I guess that's why, Rob, in the final few games of the season, we saw Carlo adapt the midfield to give Sigurdsson a 10 position. Where yeah. in, in patches, looked a little bit better. Still far yeah. too slow. I think that's the issue with the, with the guy overall, really. Um, yeah. I have a really midfield in general when you put in Tom Davis who's not not fleet of foot either and and you know Gomez is fine but he's you know and you don't have to have a super fast midfield but we absolutely need you know some injection of pace there to to really add some balance to the attack I mean options wise Rob I wouldn't be surprised if they re-explore the the Corey um transfer that they tried to get done from Watford he'll be available at a very much reduced price given their relegation um other, other other players, I think, who are on that. And a lot of people, I understand this, take issue with us trying to buy uh, relegation players who've been relegated. But, you know, they, they're not they're not solely responsible. David Brooks, for instance, at Bournemouth, who I think is a really talented player. Really talented player. 
um, we've seen shine at Goodison no less many, many times for Bournemouth. Um, people would say, oh, you can't go near, you can't spend big money on a relegated player. Well, this yeah. guy was injured all season. Had he been fit, I'd probably imagine he wouldn't be having a conversation about a relegated player. He might well have kept Bournemouth up, such as talent he has. There's him. There's a couple of players that maybe Todd Campwell, someone to look a little closer for, for Norwich. Ben Deer, I think, was the real standout. He was in the... Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he's a player I think that sort of defied the odds with uh, Norwich because he was in the top five in terms of chances created, and uh, he's somebody I think they perhaps worth a look at. But people aren't going to be appeased, Robin. And there's a there's a heart and mind. There always is. There's a heart and mind argument with transfers. If Everton's going to go and do that and buy a player from a relegated club, they'd automatically automatically be cast into the context of what's been and gone, and that is. We seem to adapt the transfer policy under Steve Walsh of recruiting players, the best players from side that were really poor or have been relegated. So I'm talking about Ashley Williams, Pickford himself, and um, you know other other players like that of that sort of they've been great and been in a poor side. So how good would they be with good players around them? Other relegated clubs are going to take that cash readily. Everton, almost like the Emperor's New Clothes at the time, uh, able to invest in. In players that I think they would find that will come really, really easily. I mean, we all remember the clamour, the the Gilfie Sigurdsson transfer saga from Swansea. The fee they ended up paying was quite astronomical for a player that was desperate to come to us. Quite clearly, desperate to come to us because he was never going to get a better offer. Yeah, and I think we you look, you only, only realise these things after the event and in hindsight. But now we're, we're reaping the cost of that. Rob, the, the whole the whole basis of Everton's recruitment mess. Uh, and what we need to do now in order to get to give Carlo Ancelotti a, a fair shot at everything, as as stemmed from essentially wasting mountains of cash when we had it uh, and not really learning our lesson of that over the last couple of summers. Listen, just to, before I refer to the midfield again in particular, Marcel Brands, it, it, it's obviously a huge summer for him, but the thing that he'd be able to say, I think, for his two big, biggest critics right now, and I'm very much of the opinion that the jury's out on him, is that when he brought the players in that he did last year for Marco Silva in Mina, Luca Dean, uh, he was there for the Charleston, of course, as well. When that happens, everybody was elated. Everybody mm-hmm. was making up videos, memes, saying this guy's just the business. He knows everything, the ins and outs. He's one of these negotiators in life. He, he's just, he can't be touched. He can't, he can't get near him. Yeah. As far as he's concerned, he had every right to still think of that reputation he's got to maintain simply because when those players have come to us and we've been all screaming from the rooftops about, he's done his job. That's him finished then. His yeah. director of football remit is to get them here. After that, it's the coaching, it's the development, it's how they play mm-hmm. the team. So he, he'll, I think he'll feel vindicated so, somewhat of what he's done so far and not have the pressure that I think many of us think he's under. This summer, now in regards to yeah, please, yeah, but you know, let me let me point, get yeah. you on that, Dave. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I, I was reading this was one of the match reports after one of our bad performances in the restart. It may have been that Spurs game. I think it was Dom, uh, Dominic King who was making reference, and I feel like others jumped on this too about the the notion that Marcel Brands is under huge pressure. Uh, that this may be even 
may I may have been kind of framed as a make it or break it. See, I, I, I just don't agree with that fundamentally because no. the idea was that Marcel Brands was going to be we were committing to him and he was committing to us in the long term. And by the way, you can you know the rec- the bad recruitment that everyone harps on about, which is f- absolutely fair. Um, you know, much of much of our problems are. are I'm not saying uh, he he obviously does not have a sparkling perfect record of of his incomings, but he, the the majority of the recruitment issues we have were from players that were brought in that we're paying big money to in the form of Sandro, uh, who by the way we all thought was going to be awesome. Uh, but Sandro, you know, Sandro Gilfie, you know, th- there were other players, and and in Jordan Pickford is increasingly becoming a blight on Steve Walsh's uh, you know resume as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so the to put it all on Marcel Brands is a bit unfair, especially given the fact that a big another big part of his remit. In fact, we probably talked about the idea that this might have been the most important thing he had to do when he came in was to shed uh, Deadwood off of this squad, and he's done a pretty good job. When you start looking at what he's recovered, uh, so, boy, that Lookman deal looks even better, uh, given yeah. how little he's contributed to, to to Leipzig since he went there. I mean, there, there's the there's the argument that that he's done that part of his job really well. I mean, I think that. Gomez is still could go either way. I think Yerry Mina has been good when he's been fit. I don't know that you can blame him for Yerry Mina having some freak weird, you know, injuries. Um, the Awobi thing, I think, is the one that may become the big blight, depending on how things go with him. But again, Awobi, whether you like him or not, is going to be around. We paid money for him. He's young. The, the club have to find a way to get something more out of him because we can't give up on players this quickly when they're when we paid all this money. So to your point, I think Marcel Brands can rightly say, look, I've done, you know, no one has a 100% record when you're the decision maker on, on player acquisitions and player exits. You, you just try to get more right than you get wrong. Um, I think he's been let down. By, and, and Gabamin, by the way, was another bit. I, I don't know how you can, in, in any reasonable, intellectually honest way, say that Gabamin is somehow his fault. But I guess the argument is that, look, the buck stops with Marcel Brands, and he's ultimately responsible uh, because he chooses, he's been choosing these players. But I do think that that's a, a bit unfair. But he will be judged, as we, we are talking about here, he will be judged on the ability now, especially after not signing the central defender last summer, on how he addresses especially the midfield at this point. Well, where, where that I think it's more pertinent with him, Rob, as well, is what he hasn't done so far is exactly what people wanted him to do. And to an extent, Steve Walsh. And Steve Walsh did hit the jackpot by doing this very one thing, and I think it's a particular skill, is unearthing a gem from somewhere else, from relative obscurity, and that was a just a gay. Steve Walsh did that. I don't think Marcel Brands can, can say it. He can, he's ever done anything like that uh, since, since he's been at Everton because who he signed have been... Well, we'll see how Branthwaite goes, but if Branthwaite, yeah, if we strike the jackpot with him, maybe he claims it on that. But yeah, yeah. I see your point. Yeah. Um, there's no one who's had that sort of zero to here. I remember when, when I just said they signed or the day he signed, I thought, what are we doing here? What's going yeah. on with this guy? I can't believe we've signed him. And then you look yeah. at what he, what he went and did. Yeah. He was incredible for Everton, and we paid. You know, we we haven't replaced, and I hate that term because players don't need to be replaced. You need to think up something else, right? Um, and that's what his job to me is. The most part is under the microscope. He's proven he's able. He's an ample negotiator. 
he's gone to the biggest, one of the biggest football clubs in the world, taking well, three players off them, uh, got a really good relationship on the continent. His reputation is stellar. That's mm-hmm. not the issue here. The issue now is a different facet of his job skills and what he brings to the role is finding players now. And listen, when he come in, he was asked, the job he was given, my understanding of the job he was given was, like you say, get the Deadwood off the, the wage book as, as best you possibly can. I think he's done that. Uh, I think we've seen it with Schneider and Leaven. We've seen a number of players he's been able to get out. If not in terms of sales, then on loan at least, which might well bring in some sort of financial right. recompense and compensation for you. Yannick Balassi, for instance, maybe they got a few quid. Yeah, he got McCarthy out. And he yeah, McCarthy, he's money, you know. went. Uh, and, and such is the circumstances, Rob. Somebody like James McCarthy would probably get a game right now. So <laughs> yeah, ironically. By the way, that's how long the season has been. We went into the beginning of this past season saying we almost have too many options in central midfield. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just amazing. About, the, other, the other staying on his record, Fabian Delph, but I don't really want to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and you're definitely not going to get a resale for him. So, yeah. Unless Leeds want now, him, Leeds, Leeds might want him just because. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. Full circle. we need we need to play on these sentiments, Rob. We need yes. to help. We need to call Crystal Palace and tell the Anaphylaxi. Anaphylaxi's been crying. He's been you know mixing with a load of eagles and things like that. Yeah, he wants yeah. to come back home to Crystal Palace. We need to play <laughs> that card with some of these players. But yeah, to me now, Brands' role is different because uh, we wanted to come in and get some names. He did that last summer, and again, he'll internally, I'm sure he'll feel feel vindicated by what he's done uh, when when that's essentially his part of the deal has been completed and getting those players over the line, how they've been managed, how they've played, uh, how they've performed is, is very subjective to the manager they've had, the system they've played in and the players that they're playing with. Uh, you know, I would not brand any of them apart from Delft as failures. Uh, I'd say they've grossly underperformed uh, probably to a man. But we've seen flashes. I think we're in a situation where I think they're in the category of they are not bad players, but they need to be given a hell of a lot more. And it goes mm-hmm. back to Matt Jones's. I mean, he should get this tattooed on him. That there's a reason these players end up at Everton. Yes, Why? yes. And, and that is the thing where we need to have that real awareness. But this summer now, his job has changed. His recruitment policy must change because we're not going to go and spend. I personally don't think. A block sum of thirty to fifty million on a midfield player. I think right. we're looking for a bit more value. I, I even said, as, as sort of football manager esque as it sounds, I said the other day, if Everton have any notion or thoughts or ideas of going back in for Wilfred Zaha, then simply split the fee in two and go and sign two midfield players. Yeah, Zaha would be fine. I mean, listen, I, I like Wilfred Zaha. I have a question about his attitude because I think he's been awful for Palace. Um, and he, Roy Hodgson came out the other day saying that he wants to leave again. Um, mm-hmm. Look, Palace aren't going to get nowhere near the fee Everton. I think we're off in the last summer. But nonetheless, I think this midfield is that much of a chronic issue for us that you have to put any fantasies aside of getting a star winger in for X amount of millions of pounds. Yeah. You have to go and get at least... If we end up with one, Rob, I'll be honest, I'd be disappointed if we get one. I'd be really disappointed if we get one because it means... What one midfielder. Said, you just yeah. said it's going to be about Gomez needing that extra body around and can't play in a two. Or we haven't seen him play well in a two. If he's the mainstay of that midfield still or one of them, 
you have to have somebody else alongside him. And I'm sorry, you can't go out and get one star midfield player to play alongside him in a 4-4-2 and then think that Tom Davis is still suffice oh. or that uh, Fabian Delph will get a turn out of him. These oh. players have had the chance, Rob. Uh, yeah. I mean, Tom Davis played over 100 games for our football. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. That we, know is, what he is, we know what he is at this point. Yeah. Exactly. We, we don't need to think, well, what if, what? there's no what ifs left with Tom Davis, as far as I'm concerned. Right. We know what he is. We know what he offers. And, 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 and we know it's not good enough for where we want to be. So it's, it's for me, it's a two player minimum in that midfield. Um, yeah. And I think automatically, Rob, we've spoken of the importance of that, that role. You've quite rightly said we probably have a shot at Europa League football if it's even slightly better, given how promising Calvert Lewin and Charleston have looked. Yeah. Given how the defence did keep a, a run of clean sheets at one point when it's it's consistent. You've got a young defender there who's desperate to break into it and looking really promising, perhaps saves us a few million quid himself. You've vaguely got the pieces there, I think, to to make a charge in a league that is quite low on quality. I mean, the reason why we 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 had a, we've got a midfield that's worse than twelfth in this league, Robert. Completely. Oh, I, I will sure. not have anybody who argues that. And the fact they've been able to get to twelfth based on other factors of the team, mainly the front two, shows you that if you get it right or even slightly better than what we've got, you're knocking on the door of where you actually need to be in yeah. a league position sense, and then that yeah. allows you to just some creative freedom to think. Well, I like I like that right wing wing winger from you know Schalke, and then it allows Marcel Brands to go out and think, yeah, do you know what? I know I know a lot of scouts have reported back to me on a twenty to twenty four year old player from you know or somebody, yeah, <laughs> somewhere like that. Whatever it is, whether it's a lower league, yeah, where you're able then to have that little bit of freedom to go and think that's a gamble we're taking. Can we be a little bit more prudent in how we spend the money? But that bulk of investments, that all of those things, those fantasy things, it only opens up when we sort this midfield area out. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I look if you're in any scenario where we've got a three man midfield, whether it's four two three one or four three three or whatever. <laughs> um, let's assume, given the dynamics and the money or whatever, that Gomesh is one of those. There's got to be a minimum of two others that are currently not at the club for me. I just don't see any other viable option right now, um, absent of a very full recovery of Gabamin and then him being good. I, 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 I now almost joke that hey, I've actually got to see Gabamin play, you know, almost a full game, uh, you know, <laughs> at the beginning of the season. He looked pretty good, yeah. uh, but but you can't count on him. Like right now, all that matters for him is just getting fit, and 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 he can't really be counted on right now. And that's no, no fault of his own. It just that is the situation. So yeah, the, look, the midfield for me, it's got to be two. I, I think that we've seen. Um, We've seen the club uh, in the very first action of the window uh, or even actually before the window, um, you know, tip their hand a little bit in that they, they bid for um, they bid for uh, Hoiberg at Southampton, which obviously he's in all, all likelihood going to Spurs, as we know. But that does give us an indication of, of the idea that they're looking for, uh, you know, a guy who can sit in front of the defense, who can also still basically they're looking for a, a better version of Morgan Schneiderlin, if you will. Um, and by the way, Schneiderlin was probably one of the most technically gifted players at the club. He just couldn't he just didn't have it in him for whatever reason to put it together. But well, just. Just on him, I think we, we 
him as a, him as a sort of case study in, in, in himself, I think is really important because <clears throat> he's the exact player you want to come in and slot into a midfield that has a lot of other things done around him that he doesn't have to do. And I think what ultimately why he failed, or part of why he failed, was one effort was a big issue with him. Obviously, yeah. he had some personal issues too toward the end. Sure. Um, but also the fact that we said we we can only function as a side, I think. Um, without standout individual players. And, and by that, I mean, if you're playing Andre Gomez in the midfield, like we've just explained quite thoroughly, there has to be somebody else who does something he can't do next right. to him. We don't have a, a, a midfielder. We're not the type of club right now who has a player who is able to do a manner of a different roles. And that's what that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the Leon Osman or right. a Phil Neville or something, you know, somebody who isn't great on the eye or obviously... Right. Somebody you throw in your team as an X factor player. You're describing versatility, Dave. Exactly a word, a word we don't use much to describe anyone. Absolutely and not. Again, <laughs> but the great irony in that is we, and I remember doing it myself, when David Moyes was in charge, I used to criticize how many versatile players we used to have <laughs> and not enough specialists. Right. So when he'd recruit, he'd go out and get a player like a Phil Neville, or he'd go out and get a player, Stephen Peanut, Leon Osmond can play a number of roles. And that, again, ironically, was simply because he didn't have the funds to spend right. on getting specialist players in the roles that he wanted to. Only towards the end did we see a Kevin Morales emerge um, and players like that, and you know, a specialist striking in, in Jelovic. Towards the end of Moises' tenure, when he got a little bit of money, did we see him then go and invest in specialist roles? It's funny now that that's flipped and we've had the huge influx of cash. We've bought specialist players... You know, they're definitely special in certain ways. Yeah. We put specialist players in, and now we're crying out for a versatile midfield player. Yeah. Well, I'd the like game's to... changed too, though, oh, Dave. Yeah. Right? I mean, the game course. is is requiring in this yeah. post Pep Guardiola city world we live in of having more positionless football, right? So, I mean, but, yeah. No, in terms of the the, the yes, the, the versatility, the, the game. Yeah, completely agree. The game has changed. Since he was doing that and buying versatile players, relatively low fees. Look, in terms of success, um, he, he was a high, he had a high percentage of getting success out of his transfers. David Moyes. I don't think anybody could deny that. Really, you think of the the, the names roll off your, your tongue if you right. travel. Well, there are some clunkers in there, but that's oh, yeah. true of anyone who is. And again, uh, if you're there at a club for double digit years, that's going to happen. And, yeah. and those those clunkers come in, Rob. When he spent money, which is yeah. really, really funny, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. been the case. And it, it seems to be, even now, the mantra of the football club, which I absolutely hate with every orifice in my body, that we are that club that, that just will not let go of that sort of backs against the wall mentality. Yeah. It still Are, seems it still seems to be the way that we win football matches where we have a little possession and the odd chance here or there. We don't dominate games even when we win them. Yeah. You know, our best big money buy under Moyes was probably Fellaini, wasn't it? Yeah, and and I've got it. I I loved Fellaini. I oh. still I appreciate him even more when he was gone. Uh, yeah, because by the end there he was just one of the best. He was he become one of the better central midfielders. Yeah, in the and league, a record but... transfer for quite some time. Yeah, like, yeah, paltry amounts of the time. Like and no one had ever heard of him, and his hair was yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I I could get into Fellaini. I, I definitely though want to just end, just but... to finish off on that point, Rob. Um, sure, of the versatility shouts. It's it it's still it's still a thing. If you look at the champions of this league, Liverpool. Yeah. Look at the midfield players. They've got different roles. They can assume because yeah. they're physically imposing. 
they're big, powerful, strong men. And they're also very skillful, technically gifted on the ball. Gigi Wijnaldum, players like that. Henderson, who's come to the fore, Football Writers Player of the Year. Yeah. Players like that. They've got big motors too. They, they're, exactly. They're, and we, we haven't had that for quite some time in that yeah. midfield role. So I really hope that that is at the forefront of the of the recruitment task force, whoever it is. Probably yeah. Bill Ken right in the end. Directing the traffic and who we end up getting in that role. But yeah, I mean, if you get that fixed, I think you've got a fair shot of the, of the whip for, for Carlo Ancelotti because then he's able to focus on what he's built his managerial career on, and that is specialist players uh, getting the best out of big-name profiles. We've got one there in Richarlison. We've probably mm-hmm. got another one there in Moise Keane, who I think thankfully showed a lot of promise in that last game against Bournemouth. Very Boy. much feels like he wants to be here. Yeah. Uh, Lewin too. You've got players who are on the verge of, I think, making a step up to become genuinely good Premier League players, Europa League players. Uh, I think you can start putting a lot of focus into them, providing you get that foundation in the midfield, right? Yeah, that's a perfect uh, segue into kind of the final part of the team um, that ironically, especially given what has felt like for the majority of my 16 years following Everton has been the position that we were constantly screaming out for uh, that suddenly kind of feels like the, the part of the team that doesn't really need to be addressed as significantly. Now, again, it's all about classification. Do you consider a, a right-sided wing player as a midfielder or a striker? I mean, it's all, you know, that's why we now call strikers at times forwards yeah. as opposed to strikers. I mean, whatever. I think that, that obviously, when in for, for the purposes of this discussion, um, we're talking about the current uh, crop, which you would argue is is Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, and Moise Keane. Mm-hmm. Um, that though does not negate the idea, though, that there is there are some interesting talking points here. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't reference the quotes attributed to Richarlison, uh, I guess, yesterday uh, coming out of Brazil. Um, I haven't seen anyone knock them down as being completely inaccurate or anything. So let's assume he said them. And and I think Richarlison is, uh, is because of the language barrier at times, is not probably given the credit that he's due for, for being a, a pretty thoughtful guy and, and someone who's probably a realist about his own career. Look, Richarlison is our best player by quite quite a quite a, mm-hmm. a, 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 a quite a bit, uh, and I don't think it's that close, uh, really, because is the improvement I've seen in him to to not only continue his goal scoring, but uh, the fact that he is an all around player. He's a guy that uh, you know tracks back defensively. I think he he's the best uh, heading. He's arguably one of the you know, two or three, four best heading, uh, 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 heading strikers in the league in terms of getting, you know, scoring goals with his head. Uh, he tracks back defensively. He, I think he is by far, uh, the, the most prolific tackler of anyone at that position. It just gives you a sense of how much he gets back. Uh, people can be frustrated with his off games, but that's just because the bar for him is so high. Um, I, I, I love Richarlison, but I've always acknowledged in watching Richarlison that, you know, we have a few years with him before he will ultimately go somewhere. Um, and I don't really blame him for that. But I would also say that that, that your remit at that point is to get the most out of those years. Um, the quotes that were attributed to him suggest 
that he is of the mindset that, you know, that sort of acknowledges that a, he, he, he knows he has options. He knows that Mm -hmm. um, even if they're not all the options he wants right now, that, that it's coming. Uh, I think that, that very clearly uh, if he agitated enough for a move this summer, he could probably push his way out, but I don't think he's going to do that. I think he said very reasonable things like, of course, uh, you know, there's always a conversation to be had if there needed to be a conversation, but he made it sound at the end of those quotes, like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be here for next season. That's what the manager wants. And I, I think that that's fair given the fact that he just signed a new contract. He's being well paid. Um, he's got a good relationship with the club. And, and I think Carlo Ancelotti deserves at least one transfer window to try to add players around him to make the argument more compelling uh, on Everton's part to, to convince Richarlison to stay after that. But Richarlison doesn't owe it. I mean, he doesn't really owe us any more than this next season. And look, we are in a situation of our own making. Richarlison wants to go somewhere where he can play in meaningful games. And if he has an opportunity to go to a side that can play in the Champions League, um, you know, that's that's fair. And it's on us, it's on Everton uh, to create the sort of environment that elite players want to uh, want to either join or remain a part of. And, and I think that Carlo Ancelotti is a big part of that equation. But now that can't that is not sufficient in and of itself. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's mere presence is not enough. It must be accompanied by uh, additions of quality. It must be accompanied by results. These are all obvious statements that I'm making that I don't think there would be a ton of disagreement on. Now, having said that, um, I expect Richard, I, I expect that the striking position probably won't be meaningfully added to this off to, during this offseason, this break. We the most reliable link to a striker I think we saw was from uh, I think it was Andy Andy Hunter uh, at the, I think it was the beginning of July end of June I can't recall um, or it may have even been what it may have even no I'm sorry it wasn't even beginning of July it was in like March or something like that where there was talk of uh, Ed, I think it's Edward at at uh, at uh, uh, Celtic excuse me. Um, who I'm led to believe can also play a right-sided position yeah, as well. Yeah. So, you know, look, th- there may be that may be one of the ideas in terms of reinforcing that right side, fine, whatever. That's another versatile player who could play a striking position, whatever. But let's just take it on its face right now and assume that we've got these three as our primary discussion points. I think Richarlison, I, I don't think we need to add any more to him. He is what he is. Uh, we need to get the most uh, – we need to surround him with better – pieces i think solving the midfield to your point dave does more to get him to a place where he is more prolific he has more chances to 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 convert and so on um moise keen i thought an interesting stat i was listening to the stats pack show uh and this kind of got lost in the mix and matt cheatham does a great job of digging up these little nuggets but uh you referenced moise keen's performance against bournemouth and you know again it's bournemouth it's all the caveats and we certainly lost but moise keen was comfortably our best player in that game Mm -hmm. Moise Keane was, according to Matt Cheatham, I think I'm getting this right, was involved in seven shots in the game. I think it's like he had four shots, created three more. I think that's how they come up with that total or whatever, which is as many um, as Calvert-Lewin had had in the previous five games, mm-hmm. um, which I, I thought was interesting. And again, it's one game. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it because, as I've said, I have come around on Calvert-Lewin. I think he is a he has turned himself through sheer 
force of will uh, into a, a very good striker, a very solid striker. Um, his limitations are what they are. He is not overly skilled. Um, we've seen some – during the restart, he unfortunately hasn't scored a goal. Um, he gets in those positions where a pass gets laid out to him and it bounces off his chest or off his shin, you know, some of the things that we get a little miffed at Lukaku for, I'm sure. But, look – I think if you're playing with two up front, um, Calvert-Lewin has uh, the ability to score goals if he's got a partner like Richarlison. If he's the only striker, uh, then he's frankly going to not – he's probably going to be more of that guy who does the dirty work but may not necessarily get a lot of goals off of it. But but look, I don't think I'm worried about Calvert Lewin. But I do want to ask you this as we we start the discussion, and we'll we'll fin- we'll talk about Moise Keane too. But with Calvert Lewin, we his goal output this season has been really good, certainly more than I thought it would be. But at the end of the day, he had a really really nice run for part of the season. But outside of that, and the restart is a little concerning to me, though I don't want to make a big deal out of the restart. Are are, are you concerned that Calvert-Lewin maybe had a, a moment, a flash, a, a, mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, a period of time where he was, uh, where he was on point? Um, are you worried that, that it's a bit of a flash in the pan, or do you think he's going to be fine going into next season? I mean, I tend to think with his work ethic he will be, but, and Carlo Ancelotti seems to have faith in him, but uh, are you at all concerned about Calvert-Lewin? Well, it depends how we're looking at him, Rob, I think. I think – Depends what lights we or what regards we we always um, we think of of Calvert Lewin in because you've got if let's say for instance the Charleston have an, has another season like he's had on this one where I think it's thirteen fourteen goals he scored in total. Um, look, if you've got two players who are putting that sort of output out, that you know you're just asking for more goals from your midfield and wide areas and things like that. I think they're perfectly reasonable totals in the Premier League. There won't be too many strikers. You won't find a club, every single club with a striker that reaches double figures in the Premier League, even some of the good ones too. Um, you know, Spurs have Kane. You, you, all of the top ones will obviously take that mantle away in terms of top goal scoring charts and stuff like that. This team still needs about, to be about the sum of its parts, Rob. I don't think you can rely on Donald Calvert-Lewin for your 20-goal season striker yet. And I'm still saying yet. Because, yes, I, I do think it's a concern. I think... What you're sort of um, intimating with that comment is, have we found a consistent goal scorer in Calvert-Lewin or could he potentially become one? I think we saw enough in that space of games to suggest that he can finish in the Premier League. What I saw after that, though, was maybe a little bit of immaturity that we don't necessarily associate him with, simply because even though he's only 22, 23 years old, he's been around for a long time and he's been flogged in all of these different positions. Now, Whilst I don't fear for him as a performer in the Premier League, as a goal scorer, I still don't think we can say he's consistent enough to rely on in terms of he's Everton's main man, he's Everton's number nine, and if Everton are going to score goals, it's him that's going to get them. I don't think he's he's near that yet. Um, what he's, what we've seen this season is promising. Had this purple patch, that, and it is a near purple patch for now, considering I think he's gone 11 since he scored. Um, if that was a couple of years ago, let's face it, we'd all be going crazy about him and thinking, well, this is just the start. This guy's only just broken onto the scene. But we need to remember that when he was brought into the side, he was playing right wing back in from asleep under Ronald Koeman. He was a, a second striker at times. He was told to, somebody to hold up the ball. 
try and bring other players into play. Indeed, under Sam Allardyce, he was just a, a cart horse up front that Everton used as an outlet to try and get further up the pitch. There's a lot of context that comes with Dominic Calvert-Loon. His biggest compliment, I can say, is one that you've identified, Rob, and that is his work rate. And I don't think you'll ever see that let up. He's always going to fight for every single thing. And that's why I don't fear for him in terms of having a place in this team, because he does that uh, in, in, in a side that's bereft of that sort of work ethic. I think he's, he sticks out like a sore thumb in a good way um, with that sort of thing. But in terms of his goal scoring acumen, I'm still to, to, to be thoroughly convinced that he's the finisher. For instance, Matt Jones thinks he is naturally. I don't. I I don't think he's a natural goal scorer. And with that, I think you're only hoping for a good season from him. Is exactly what we've had. I think you don't get that much beyond 13 to 15 goals a season from somebody like that. One caveat to that, of course, Rob is, which we've touched upon, has been the the eminent theme throughout this show has been a midfield and has been trying to create some chances for forward right. players. It's right. not like he's Mr. Hackful. I right. think they don't get enough like, chances. They don't get enough chances. We all no, acknowledge and he's that. Not, yeah. He's not, but having said that, Rob, I think to, to continue with the sort of balanced view on him, I don't think he's that type of, you know, one chance, one goal type of striker. I, I just don't right. see that. And I think we saw Sheffield United. He got in a really good position on a corner, back post. He's terrific in the air. Yeah. Get but when once he gets in position, he's got a pretty much open goal, heads it against the post. The other thing that I think I think has quietly seeped into his game, and we've had so many other issues to talk about on the restart and how poor we've been, that this hasn't really been spotted by many people, but it certainly hasn't been spoken about by many people. He seems to me to feel a little bit of there's a little bit of desperation seeping into his game because he's gone that long without a goal. Yeah. I, I felt he'd be a little bit more mature than that. There were a couple of occasions that I, I really pointed out. A couple against Bournemouth, but Sheffield United in particular, there's a point where I think he goes clean through on goal. After creating the chance himself, he brings it down his chest. Outmuscle the centre-half, goes running clean through on goal. He's got one defender coming across from his right-hand side. And Gilfie Sigurdsson, no less, is stood in the middle of the box on his own. Calvert-Lewin decides to take it further to his left and have a thrash at goal rather than playing the simple ball for a tap into Gilfie Sigurdsson. That, to me, is a sign of a striker that I think feels he's probably under his own pressure. I don't think too many of us, given the context of the season at the time, are putting him under too much pressure. But he'll feel as if the, he's had that patch where he scored a lot of goals in a short amount of time. He'll feel as if that is his level. He'll feel as if that's the constant thing he aspires to be. And it's a natural thing in life. All of us do it. You know, I don't play, if I go and play golf and it's a 75, Rob, I'll think I can do that every week. And, yeah. and that, that's that's exactly what Calvert-Lewin does. If he scores in a game, he's like, I should be doing this every week. And with that comes desperation and trying a little bit too hard. And that's yeah. what I've seen from him in the last few games of the season. It's the type of scenario where you think, you know, one goal and he'll be fine. He'll go back to Lincoln play-up and stuff like that. But I think ultimately when he finds himself in those positions, you go back 15 games ago when he was in the middle of that patch, he probably squares it to Gilfie Sigurdsson and Everton score and win the game comfortably 2-0. But because he he feel he definitely feels a sense of responsibility with that number nine, he's spoken of it in the past. He feels he needs to add the goals to his game, which is fine, mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't come at the behest of everything else that we need to work on. Because we're not a free goal scoring side. If Everton was scoring three or four goals a game, Rob, I wouldn't care if Calvert Loon shot on sight all the time. But the yeah. fact we, we create so many, so few chances, 
I'd much rather he be much more pragmatic in those positions than to have that selfish aspect about him right now to, to try and blast one a goal from an improbable position. So, um, it's a fine, yeah, fine I, yeah. yeah, the 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 concern, and maybe it's a little bit too harsh saying a concern. The the thing that I think we need to monitor is that goal scoring output um, yeah. and how that measures up when he's got a fair fighting chance of players who create chances for him. Whilst he's doing it on his own, whilst he's having a 13-goal season when the team has been quite poor everywhere else, let's face it, I'm 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 happy with him and I think he's in general he's had a really good season. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm fully <laughs> I've been a very pronounced Calvert Lewin skeptic. Um and I'm certainly impressed with the turnaround and that he's <laughs> Proving me wrong in regards to his ability to finally add goal scoring to his uh, his um, his arsenal, if you will, because he's he does so many things well. I think he's also a, a very underrated passer of the ball, which to your point makes those instances when he doesn't make that right decision frustrating because you yeah. know he yeah. take out that pass. Um, but I but but I think the best thing that could happen to him, and really this is true of all the positions we've talked about, is to have that competition. Um, you know, Moise Keane, in theory, now going into year two of being in Everton, having gone through the year of of getting comfortable in England and doing all these things. Uh, simply speaking, he's got to take a big step forward next season. He seems to have acknowledged that uh, in some of the comments he's made recently. Um, he certainly had way more of a... Uh, a, uh, a of a fire uh, when he was starting, it appeared, than uh, than coming off the bench. And you know, look, some some players are like that, and 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 you know, but ultimately, it feels like if you're going to acknowledge that Richarlison may not be long for for Everton, that a player like Moise Keane probably has to take a big step forward next season, and 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 at least present a a you know the the threat if you will of being um a really good striker i i i'm a big believer in moise Keane's talent um having you know seen him you know just see it, the the figure he cuts in person he, he's got some real skill he is deceptively you know i don't even think you, you notice until you're there watching him and I, I happen to have a really good seat at that watford game i was at and he came on as a substitute um he is a physically imposing player um, in terms of his ability to to keep the ball and do some other things. So all the raw ability with Moise Keane's there, I don't think anyone really questions that. It's going to be incumbent upon the manager to get uh, him to that next level, or the club to get him to that next level. Um, it's hard to imagine anyone better suited to do that uh, for an Italian striker than Carlo Ancelotti, so you'd, you'd hope that that would be the case. Um, but but I think that, that he's got to take a step forward next season um, bottom lining it, and this is where I want to end uh, today because I've, I've really got to jump to an actual work meeting. I've loved this long conversation, Dave. Uh, Everton, if I can, beyond just saying the midfield has to be better, I think one thing we're also saying when we say that about the entirety of the team is that this this team, this squad, simply must produce more goals from other people besides Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. You cannot – we have perpetually been in a cycle where we've had either one or two goal scorers in this thing. The idea that Bernard is your third leading goal scorer, I think with three goals in the yeah. league, it's unacceptable. And so, you know, if I can use an old 
Ronald Koemanism. Uh, you know, we've got to get we've we've got to get uh, we've got to get uh, goals from other players on the pitch, and and it's true. You know, it's I know that that was the theory behind adding a bunch of number tens, but the the midfield has to supply that. Um, frankly, given how proficient we've become at set pieces, uh, it'd be really heartening to see, uh, you know, even guys you don't necessarily count on for goals. Uh, the, the Yerry Minas and the Michael Keaton, those guys have got to score more in some of these chances too, but we just simply need more goals from more places. Dave, I, I do, uh, unfortunately have to cut it off. Uh, I hope. You know, this nearly two hour behemoth of a, of a podcast has been enough for everyone. Uh, it, Dave, this is, as always, been a fantastic conversation. Um, obviously, we will continue to um, have these conversations throughout what ought to be a fascinating and faster than you think six week break here. Um, where the window will will still, of course, inevitably bleed into the season, so we probably won't get any signings till the last day of the window. <laughs> well, because it's, Dan- it's, it's normally an exciting time. I, you know, let's be honest. When we've approached transfer windows in the past, it's it's been exciting um, because we've had money to spend and whatnot, and we felt that the team was on the cusp of having a squad sufficient enough to compete. This one, I approach with a little bit more caution, and yet it's going to be the shortest one by some margin. So. I think it's a pretty daunting summer that we're in for right now. Yeah. Well, and the window itself will go into the season, but the, and again, how many times have we said this uh, when it comes to Everton? It would be ideal to have all these guys in, you know, a couple of weeks before we get started with training. But I mean, they're going to be back. I think we've already started to hear Ancelotti have say things like, well, we expect these guys back in about a month to start. Yeah. It is going to be these guys need to get their beach vacations in at their exotic locations. You already have them, many of them, Rob. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, guys, so Dave, this has been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, again, we've got plenty coming up on Blue Room throughout this uh, this uh, extended summer. Well, I guess it's the the shortened summer break, but this extended summer of Everton, if you will, um, that that uh, I, I think will will certainly provide us with plenty to talk about. Uh, I know we will we'll, we will get back into a regular rhythm with the transfer show. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we've got all this great subscriber content, uh, you know, mailbag, 11, stats pack. Um, you know, we've got the weekly, um, you know, we've got uh, we've just got so much content, uh, as I always like to say uh, here at the Blue Room. So we'll be keeping in touch with you guys. Thank you all for your, your thoughts going into this. And as always, we love getting your feedback. Um, who are you? I'm you from the future. What do you want? I want to tell you about Dave. Dave has your future money. Spend it on whatever you need. With extra cash from Dave, you can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.